guys, it's Jasmine. And I'm Valerie, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. I think I fucked that part up. It's okay. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't fuck it up. I made her go first, and that's because this is a very special episode. Um, but we'll tell you about that in a second. First, we're going to tell you about Patreon, because we are going to start doing Patreon so that you can hear even more of our bullshit. <laughs> I'm so excited. We've already recorded a handful of episodes. Um, Actually, today is the first day that you can officially sign up. And there are already a couple episodes on there. We're going to be doing two different kinds. Um, One of them, you'll get one every month that's just like a normal episode that's not going to be like in sync with whatever our our, um, season is. And then there's also going to be one that's like a true crime in the news. So it's fun. Yeah. It's good. It and is. There's already content to listen to. So yeah, I was gonna say I like it because it's like really uncut. <laughs> it's uncut, <laughs> unedited version. Of <laughs> that might be a bad thing to some of you, but I feel like anybody who's going to be a Patreon is going to appreciate those things. So we'll see. Let us know. Anyways, it's three dollars a month, and it's just it's just supporting us so we can get some microphones and shit. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, better microphones, better things means better quality sound and i'm sure you can all appreciate that (laughs) yeah it'll be it'll be really good news and there's also other perks on there but you can read about that on the site we're not going to take up too much time talking about it if you consider it we appreciate it that's fantastic if not we totally understand keep listening to the free episodes that we're going to be putting out um nothing about that's going to change it's still going to be every five days because we love you (laughs) yes we do um, so yeah, I'm super excited. Um, yes. yeah, I don't know what else to say cause I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and Jasmine is nervous because this is our season finale and she is the one telling you the story today. Yeah. Jazz-tastic. Is that what we said earlier? Uh, yeah, yeah like- I think we're going with jazz-tastic. This is a jazz-tastic episode. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm super excited because <laughs> I get I mean, to, abs- like, I get to absorb all this information that, like, I'm familiar with, but not in the way that you've deeply dove into it. So I'm super excited. Yes. Like, it, I, like, literally went down a rabbit hole of my own and it was super crazy. I invested a lot of time into it, so I hope it's worth it, and I hope you guys like it, because if you do, then maybe I'll do another one, but if you don't, maybe I'll still do another one. (laughs) (laughs) We already have our next one coming, but that's not, um, we're not going to spoil that for you now. So also, this is the last episode, like I said, of season three, so season four is going to be Family Annihilation. Woo! Not Chris Watts. No, we're not going to be talking about Chris Watts or um, Lori Vallow or Lacey Peterson or any of those people. Do not worry. They obviously deserve to be talked about, but they have been talked about plenty and we are not going to talk about them. Yeah, no, I can't. Um, I definitely can't deal with the Chris Watts thing. Um, I think it's just way too of a hot topic right now. Um, and honestly, like when I did like kind of deep dive into it, I couldn't sleep. Like my anxiety was like on 1000 and my depression really heavy. That was a dark time. 
I totally understand that. I guess that's what my pet peeve is with that, is that everybody's talking about Chris Watts and about what, you know, just all about him and not about his poor family. Exactly. And about how attractive he is and how all these people are talking to him in jail. I'm like, okay, he killed his family. Like, we're, like, why are people, never mind, let's not, let's just not. (laughs) I know, I know. <laughs> We're on the same page with that one. I just can't. Okay, so let's talk about something we do want to talk about. Jasmine, go for it. All right, guys. So today I will be bringing you the story of the one and only Israel Keys. Oh, wait, let me let me already stop you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I just wanted to say, remember how in the very first episode of the season we said like oh do you have a like a favorite serial killer and i want to first of all say that by favorite that's the wrong word what i mean is like the most interesting fascinating serial killer to me mine was israel keys i told you i would tell you at the end of the season okay okay gotcha gotcha yeah um yeah, he's he's definitely mine for sure. Okay, I thought so. I said I said I thought that I thought we had the same one, but I you know I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to accidentally spoil anything. <laughs> no, well, so like I just found out about him, and I only found out about him through Crime Junkie. So I only started listening to podcasts like maybe a year and a half ago, if that. So I'm, like, really new to it, and the fact that we're doing our own is pretty dope to me, because, like, after I heard that, I got into some other podcasts, and I immediately went to look and see if they did a podcast on him, too, and I've listened to multiple podcasts about him, and, like, I'm, like, really invested in this guy, just because it's just fucking insane, it is. And I hope, I know obviously this is one that a lot of people have heard of, but I also know there's a handful of people who are still like, wait, who? Which right. blows my mind. Because, like, to me, I'm like, he's like the first person I think of. Right. Now, like, when, like, exactly. So, like, now when we talk about missing person cases, I'm like, it could have been him. Right. Right. But. I just wanted to cite my sources really quick, but I only got my sources from one place, and that was this book titled American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan. Yeah, so, yes, Israel Keys. Um, so, this is going to be a two-parter. Um, I really wanted to kind of focus on him himself. Um, but I felt like it would, I wouldn't have been able to do it justice if I didn't go through and talk about, um, the three known victims to him, which is Samantha Koenig and Bill and Lorraine Courier. So first I'm going to start with Samantha, um, a little background information about her. She was 18 when she went missing. Oh my God. Um, she sometimes cut class um and from little information that the cops got from different people who hung up who knew her basically um said that she kind of dabbled in drugs here and there um but for the most part she got along with everyone uh she had two main people in her life which were her dad james and her boyfriend Dwayne. um Dwayne, she had been dating for almost a year and um you know, when everything happened and the cops were kind of investigating him, they realized that, you know, they were going through a rough patch. 
um, just because the night of her disappearance, uh, the text messages were showing them arguing back and forth. And basically she had been accusing him of kind of like flirting with other people, with other girls. And of course she didn't like that. And he was kind of like, it was just some harmless flirting and that kind of rubbed the officers in the wrong way. So basically the night that she went missing, it was February 2nd, 2012. Um, she had only been working at this little drive through coffee hut. It's called um, Common Grounds Espresso Hut. I love that um, name. That's so cute. It is cute. And I actually looked it up online. It is, a, it's still a thing. They actually have multiple, uh, multiple of these little kiosks, I guess that's what they call them, which is a really good idea. Like it's, you just get espressos and frappuccinos and stuff like that. And they do all kinds of different, um, fraps and espressos. I know one was like a, um, some kind of rainbow cotton candy one. Like I would never think to cotton candy and coffee but hey if it works it works <laughs> i like how you're like i'm gonna look this place up and then you're like reading the menu you're like wait a minute because <laughs> <laughs> really they have like pictures um it's like it's some their layout is a little funky so like on one side it tells you everything they do and on the other side it's pictures of like all of their um baristas and their drinks that they make and stuff like that so it actually looked pretty good like That's cool. i wouldn't find one of those um By the way, this is in Anchorage, Alaska. I know I didn't mention that before. (laughs) Um, And the cool thing about this little espresso hut is that it was painted like this vibrant teal color. So, like, if you think of Alaska, it's kind of gloomy, to be honest, just because it's always wet and cold and things like that. So, like, for you to have this vibrant little shed looking thing it's kind of cool to me like I, I would be drawn to it I would want to work there I would too yes so um Samantha had been working there for less than a month um and then she went missing on the morning of February or that night of February 2nd 2012 um and the barista that came in the very next morning came in and saw that things were out of place and the previous day's earnings were gone and that the store wasn't closed down properly. So um, after that, she did call her boss, which then called the cops basically. And along with that, um, Samantha's dad did also, um, called the cops as well because you know he hadn't heard from her and neither had Dwayne. so when the cops started investigating this their very first thing that they thought could have happened was that she ran away they for some reason they automatically assumed that she just decided to say fuck it steal all the money and just leave and go spend it and do whatever so they thought this because there was no sign of a struggle when they um, were investigating she didn't I guess they did they had a panic button and she didn't hit it now I've seen like stills of the video um because of course that little kiosk had a video have you seen the video I have it creeps me the fuck out right so like I'm sorry the way that it looked like I would not have remembered that I had a panic button I swear to god I put it (laughs) 
that's why I could never work in a bank or anything because I would forget to hit that panic button so fast. So basically in the video, you know, um, you see this girl, she's taking orders like normal. And then um, you see her kind of give, she does, she gives away one coffee to somebody. And then you see her like, she's face at the register, I believe it was. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and then she's, you can tell she's taking an order and somebody's talking to her. And then all of a sudden you kind of see her step back with her hands up and she like backs away and then the lights turn out. Yeah. It's really creepy. You can see that like she's startled. Yes. And I'm just like, what the fuck? That is like my worst nightmare. Right. Okay. Yeah. So her hands go up and all that's visible outside of the kiosk is like a shadowy figure. And whenever the cops were looking at the video, they thought that it looked like the muzzle of a gun being pointed at her from the window. So I guess they could see like the very end of it. Um, I really couldn't see it, but you know, those are the same thing. I'm kind of blind anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure they have some technology that helps them kind of like. <laughs> yeah. So 911 calls and surveillance videos are not my thing. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so, like, the aim of the gun, they noticed, was pretty high. Um, so, and, like, the window is at a really, like, it's kind of, it's lower than normal. So, the cops immediately, when they seen that, they thought, oh, this person has to be tall. And so, while they're watching this, they're seeing that she's moving around the counter and her back is kind of to the um, to the person that's basically pointing the gun at her. And all of a sudden, she gets on her knees. And then she stays that way for over a minute, kind of fidgeting. And then, like, three and a half minutes, uh, she gets up and walks over to the register and takes the money out of the drawer. Um, and you can't really tell in the video, like, if she puts it down or if she... Um, hands it over to the person but from the time that she takes that money out you can just see her kind of um going back to that kneeling position and then um she wobbles to the window stops and then turns her back to it um then after that you kind of see like this large male figure leaning halfway inside um and you can't see anything because he's got this hoodie on and it's kind of like um you know how some of those hoodies have those drawstrings around the hood? Yeah. Why do those exist? Oh, <laughs> never mind. Because of wind. <laughs> Sorry, right, stupid right. question. Yeah, no, never mind. No, no, you're fine. No, I was thinking the same. I was like, fuck, why do they make those things? Um, so, yeah. So, then um, they're, they're watching it. And you can see that he's tying her arms behind her back. Um, and then, so, like, when they're describing, like, watching the video, they're describing, like, after he tied her arms back, there's, like, two minutes that elapse, which we, when we think of two minutes, we kind of think of it going by super fast. But imagine being in this situation, and you're just kneeling there for two minutes with nothing happening. And not knowing How what's going to happen, and somebody's held the gun to you? Fuck no. Right. How terrified are you? Like, I couldn't even imagine. I know, for real. Like, oh, my God. It's, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Um, so, yeah. And then, um, 
So while they're watching this, they see the guy, they describe it as he's like pouncing like a cheetah. So he like pushes his way through the window and then he, the way he does it, like it really does kind of look like when a cheetah jumps. So he, <laughs> he like, <laughs> he like basically pushes himself in and like arms extended and then he like kind of like rolls and ends up like literally right beside her. Oh wait, time out. He did that coming into the place? Yes, yes, coming in through the window. So like he didn't touch anything? No, he literally like jumped through the window. I don't know like what I was picturing, but that was not it. That is horrifying. Okay. I feel like were you kind of like picturing like him kind of like moving his leg like up like a normal person would go in through a window? I'm I'm imagining a normal ass person. You're like like a cheetah. I'm like, yeah, like he bounced a little. No, you mean he like dead ass didn't touch anything. No, yeah. Um, so yeah. So like when he stood up, they realized that it he it's a dude and he's like super tall. Um, and then he looks out the window and he shuts it and then he, he's seen saying something to her. And unfortunately this video, this is why I hate this. It has no audio. What the fuck good is a fucking video camera if when it records, it records with no audio. Don't most like surveillance cameras not have audio? Uh, I'm not saying it makes sense, but but I'm just saying, I think that's a thing. I think it's a thing because like, it's just going to pick up like a lot of register noise and like a lot of like, um, furnace noises. I don't think surveillance videos. Yeah. Typically have really inconvenient right here, but I freaking hate that. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, even if it did have audio, it's not like he would have been like, hello, my name is. Real keys. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, like, I'm not laughing at the situation. I just want to be very clear about that. But, like, I'm just trying to think, like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, oh, God. Yeah. That's probably why they don't. It Anyways. <laughs> it doesn't at all. Um, all right. So then, uh, so, yeah, so he's talking to her. And I think this is kind of why they're thinking that um, she kind of just ran off. Like, maybe he was, like, in a... So, like, the other thing was that maybe he was, like, her accomplice in a way. Because the way that they're communicating, you can tell she's, like, caught off guard. But then she's kind of calm at the same time. Um, Because, like, they're talking and everything looks normal. Like, they're just having a regular conversation. Um, So then um, he ends up picking up her purse to look through it and he realizes it's empty and then um he is so like he's so smart and it makes me so mad how smart he is because the entire time he basically has his back to the camera so um what they see before they end up walking out is that there's white lettering on the back of his hoodie and they can't tell what it says like, it's impossible because the video is so grainy that they can't figure it out. But, like, to me, I'm like, if they could only fucking do this, like, criminal minds or something and make it ungrainy, it would be amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but same thing. It's not like he's wearing a hoodie that says, like, his address on it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I was see, hoping it was, I he was stupid enough to wear, like, a hoodie that had his construction 
site name. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I mean, I guess it could be helpful because at least you could be like, oh, you know, who knows somebody with this hoodie and with, you know, whatever. But, like, also, could we talk about just why do surveillance cameras with grainy-ass footage exist? Like, what right, good that, does that, that do anybody? Like, you can be like, oh, yeah, we, we did get robbed. You weren't lying. Like, that's the end of it. It doesn't do you any good. You have to be able to identify people. Isn't that the point of the surveillance? So that you can identify yeah. people who do something that shouldn't be happening? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. So, like, this little kiosk apparently had more than one camera. So, um, after all of this, he gets her up, and then they turn to leave, and then there's another camera facing them, and they catch them. Basically, he's got his arm around her waist, and they're walking out of the door. And her hands are behind her back, tied behind her back, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was crazy that they could still even think that she just ran away. But, you know, um, whatever. Uh, so. I mean, if somebody did all that to run away, just let them have it. <laughs> exactly. That's a crazy exactly. ploy. But okay. <laughs> right. So on that night, um, her dad was actually supposed to bring her dinner and I guess something happened and they somehow, I guess whenever they were talking, he ended up never bringing it to her. No. And they, yeah. He, yeah. I, yeah. He felt like shit after that. I mean, it's not his fault. Like nothing would have, I, I mean, except for maybe a timeline, depending on if he would have brought it before or after that. But like, oh, that breaks my heart. Okay. Yes. Definitely. So, um, the other thing too, was that Dwayne was actually supposed to pick her up that night because she didn't drive her car. They, sh they shared her truck. Well, how the, how the fuck was she supposed to get home then? He was going to pick her up after work, but he ended up getting out of his job late, but he was, he said he was only like five to 10 minutes late. So did he go and to the coffee shop? He did, and he noted. Okay, so this is where they thought that he was a. Um, he they obviously thought he was a suspect because you know he's the boyfriend, and then they also thought the dad was. Uh, they treated him as a suspect as well. Oh, that makes me. But okay. basically, he said that he went back or he went to the coffee shop, and he noticed that all the lights were out. And he got out and looked in one of the windows and no one was there. He said that he didn't go in because he didn't want to trigger an alarm. No, why the hell would he go in? I wouldn't either. She obviously would have yeah. left. Maybe he thought that she got a ride home, I guess. Although it's 2012, right. cell phones are a thing. So I don't know. Yeah, so the good thing was, um, like I said, that there was a series of texts between them. So when the cops did talk to Dwayne, um, they kind of, they, you know, asked they got his uh, the right to search his phone and all that good stuff. So basically, he called her and she couldn't talk. So he said he got upset and said and he hung up. So you know they were fighting and he was like, "Oh, she's probably just being a bitch and ignoring me, oh, or she just." Okay, that makes sense. Right. So then that night, like after he went and realized she wasn't there. Um, he had finally gotten a text from her, supposedly from her phone, at least around 1130 saying, F you asshole. I know what you did. I'm going to spend a couple of days with friends need time to plan acting weird. Let my dad know. So 
that okay that sucks yeah that text right there is weird because it doesn't make sense like the acting weird part like i don't i don't understand where that came from um but you know you know spoiler it wasn't from her it was actually from israel what um yeah i'm kidding i'm kidding he was using her phone um to kind of make it seem like she you know she just left from her own free will and of course conveniently for him he had seen then probably that she had been arguing with him and he was like oh perfect exactly exactly how did that work out so nicely i know like i hate that learning more about him i like everything that he does is based off of circumstances and for some reason these fucking circumstances work out in the best way for him you know what i think this is a really good um way to say that don't ever end anything in a fight like always resolve your fights immediately yes definitely like you know how they say don't go to bed angry right and stuff like that Really don't go to bed angry. Like, I need to practice on that because I do that a lot. Yeah, so. don't go to bed angry. Don't, like, s- just have a fight over text and then not resolve it. And, like, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Those are the three rules <laughs> to live by. Exactly. So, um, another weird thing that happened in regards to Dwayne was at around 3 o'clock in the morning, he got the sudden urge to go outside. He says he can't explain it why, but he just felt the need to go outside. So he said when he went outside, he saw a man with a mask about six feet away going through his and her truck. And then he said that the guy ended up seeing him and they literally just stood there and stared at each other (laughs) for like a minute. And then the man just closed the door and walked away. What the fuck? I'm sorry. I'm just picturing that. Like, I feel like that would totally be me because, like, if I went outside in the middle of the night because I had, like, a weird feeling, first of all, just don't fucking do it. Just be like, okay, something weird's going on out there. I'm staying right with the fuck where I am. But, you know, if I were to go outside and I saw somebody, that would be me. Like, I wouldn't say anything. We would just have a stare off. And I would, like, like, what do you do? Yeah, you never know how you're going to react to a situation. And I feel like, I kind of feel like that would be me. I would be, like, dumbstruck, like, what the fuck is happening right. right now? Like, everybody always says it's fight or flight, but, like, you have to remember there's also people who freeze. <laughs> exactly. That's like, me. I know. I feel like that would totally be me, but I have no idea. But that that actually is just kind of funny to me. I It's really interesting that he had a... And I obviously, when I say funny, I just want to, like, clarify, like, a thousand times. <laughs> when I say funny, I just mean, like, I'm putting myself in the situation assuming that nothing bad were to happen. Like, just the idea. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But, of course, the actual situation that's happening is not funny. But, like, it's just really cool, too, how people's instincts set in like that. That he was like, I have to go outside. Like, what is going on out there? Like, I know something's going on out there. Like, it's so crazy how that happened. So, um, so, so after, like, he just walked away, um, Dwayne went back in and told her dad. And then an hour later, Dwayne went out, um, out back outside to search her car. Wait, and was Dwayne staying at her dad's house? Yeah, so I forgot to mention that. So Dwayne and her actually lived together. At with her dad's their, house. With her da- oh, yeah. so that makes sense, too, why he said to tell her dad. Okay. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So they lived together. Um. So, yeah. So he told her dad, and then he went back and looked in the truck. 
and he found that her driver's license was missing. So I guess she always kept it like in the visor. You know what? I used to do um, that part- in my glove box. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he found that she was that it was missing, and then he just went back inside and went back to sleep. That's weird. Well, first of all, what? How did? How did the person, the person who was going through the car, know where to find her driver's license, and why did he want it? Can you give me these answers? <laughs> I believe I can, and I believe um, it. He had asked her where she lived at. And she actually told him. Um, and that's how she found it. Or that's how he found her. But why did he want her driver's license? Never mind. I'm sure you, I'm sure if it comes up, you'll tell me later. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm, I feel like I'm answering my own questions. <laughs> I just, like, have to ask it, okay? <laughs> you're good. You're good. Because it gives me something else to look up and uh, kind of get my mind going. Okay. He was actually considered a bad guy to some people just because of that. But, you know, him being a dad, there wasn't there was nothing that he wouldn't do for Samantha. Okay. Um he, he was actually quoted like when he he said when she was first born, he couldn't sleep because he was so worried that she would suddenly stop breathing. Like that is so adorable to me. That would because be because I moms <laughs> do that cuz I definitely did that at the beginning and just to hear a dad say that, like it's just so cute. <laughs> okay <laughs> um and samantha was his only child so like whenever she did you know they reported her missing and all of that he did actually go out of his way he made um flyers and he passed them out um with her photo that said that she was kidnapped he would call her cell phone he actually called her cell phone that night and up until the next morning until it finally just went to voicemail and um after that he said it would ring until yeah he said it would ring until it went to voicemail and then it was just voicemail so then at that point he knew her phone was dead and he was actually convinced that she was taken um he couldn't explain why he just had that gut instinct um was this after this was after they knew about the surveillance video right this was actually before they knew about the oh i was like of course she was taken (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, no, no. You're fine. Um. So yeah, this was before the surveillance video and all that good stuff. So like, they didn't investigate for um a couple days. So I'll get more into that. Oh my god. Um, okay. But more with the whole like they thought she ran away. They also um weren't convinced that she was taken because apparently a lot of people in Alaska go missing all the time. Or they get lost on a dark trailhead. Or they freeze in a snowbank. Apparently that's super common. That's horrifying. But also we know that she was at work. So it's not like she was on a weird trail. Right. The snowbank thing, I mean, I guess that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, how? I guess that's what happens. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but like Alaska is considered like one of those places that people go during their last like couple years of their life like knowing they're gonna die there for some reason uh, that's where people are drawn to you know that's really funny because that's exactly what I think of when I think of Alaska like that's where I would go to die like not literally just like why would I like I would love to go visit I'm sure it's beautiful there's supposed to be lots of good things but 
why people want to live where it's ever dark all the time. I know that it's also light all the time sometimes. But, like, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to bash like, people in Alaska, but what the actual fuck? <laughs> if there's something really cool going on there, you gotta let me know. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so um, that's a little bit about him. Also, um, that Friday, so she went missing on a Thursday. That Friday, he, um, he actually, James, her dad, he stood outside of the, um, the coffee hut and he stood there and waited for her to show up. No, I and hate that. Stop. Yes. So, you know, after everything with her dad and all that stuff. So apparently the cops didn't even tape off the um, crime scene. Did you know that? <laughs> because <laughs> uh, they didn't consider it a crime scene that's so fucked up i hate it yeah so that day you know when the barista you know um came in that next morning she also just proceeded to continue serving customers and get set up that morning um and then so yeah they didn't they didn't start investigating anything within the first 48 hours and um I don't know about you, but there's a show called First 48. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that the first 48 are, hours are really, really important. Yes. So now the fucking crime scene is contaminated all to hell. Also, he's a cheetah. Huh? Also, he was a cheetah, though. He, like, literally bounced through the window. So <laughs> while I'm not saying that they would have necessarily found anything, at least it's not like you saw him put his fingers all over everything exactly and he like we'll find out later like he is super like super smart I, unfortunately i fucking hate him how smart he is um okay so we are going to skip ahead a little bit so remember she went missing on the 2nd of february okay the 24th of february at 7 56 p.m her boyfriend Dwayne got a text from her phone Whoa, Connor that's forever later. Okay, sorry. Yes. No, 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 you're fine. So the text said, Connor Park, signed under pick of Albert, ain't she purdy? P-U-R-T-Y. What the fuck? Okay, first of all, if you're going to say purdy, at least make it a D. Right, right. <laughs> so, now I'm just nitpicking, um, sorry. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. So Dwayne and James called the police department and told them, you know, the about the text. And they, like, got in their vehicle and they hauled ass to Connor Park. And they basically beat the cops there first. Oh, my and God. What do you think that they thought they were going to find? I don't know. But there was a Ziploc bag containing a rambling ransom note and a black and white detox Polaroid, or a couple of detox Polaroids of her tacked to a bulletin board under a missing flyer for a dog named Albert. So, um, and I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about what the pictures were, but I'm not going to, I'm going to touch back on it even more, um, later on. So basically in one of the pictures, it looked like the silver duct tape, she had silver duct tape on and it covered her mouth and chin. Uh, she was wearing eyeliner and looking at the camera with her hair braided. And in that picture, her, ha her head was held by a man. 
And all that, and the reason why they could kind of tell as a man, because you just see his hand and like a really muscular arm. But I was kind of like, it could have been a lady too. But, you know, whatever. Um, and the um, top part of the picture, it actually had some words on it. It said, copy of Anchorage Daily News, date February 13th, 2012. Proof of life. Um, which I thought was kind of weird because this is the 24th and that's from the 13th. That's but, a huge I mean, difference. Yeah, but I mean, I guess if that's all they could get, then I, I guess you know whatever um i didn't realize that that was such a big difference because when i've heard of this in the past it doesn't specify those dates that's really interesting okay yeah yeah definitely um so there was a note that said i may not use the card much in alaska due to small pop but as i will be leaving soon i will be using it all over and with that, the person demanded $30,000 to be deposited into Dwayne and Samantha's account. And if it was done, she would be freed in six months. Okay, so hold on a second. So he blatantly is saying, I'm going to use this card? Yes. Not just like, I'm going to take out money and then... Nope, he said I will be using it. <laughs> All over. I'm sorry, that's really stupid. Okay, continue. It is very stupid. I agree. And yeah, he's just an idiot on that part. <laughs> okay. So yeah. And um, so now this is considered a, um, a federal crime is considered kidnapping and the FBI is now involved. So woohoo. That went from zero to 10 real quick. Serious. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first thing that the FBI was trying to figure out is if she was dead or alive in the picture. So I kind of want to get your take on it. I know we've discussed this before, but if you can think back to the very first time that you saw it without even hearing about it, what do you think by looking at that picture of her? Well, to be fair, I did not see the one with tape over her mouth and with her hair in a braid. <laughs> I only saw okay. the other picture, which is... It almost looks like she has short hair because her hair is, like, behind her back. Yes. And um, there's a newspaper, and her eyes are open, and her mouth is closed, and there's no tape or anything on her. And it's not evident that somebody is, like, holding her head up. I 100% thought she was alive. So when I saw – because I seen the same picture that you did. I did actually see this one. Um, I thought – she once again i suck at grainy anything and 911 calls i'm gonna keep reiterating that so i literally thought she was alive too but then i kept looking at it and i'm like why does she look that way right i kept too it's a very strange we are not going to post this picture on the instagram by the way if you want to see this you can look it up i'm not going to accidentally expose somebody to this um but there's she's it's like dark in certain places on her face yeah, like around her mouth. Right. And I thought maybe it was because of the tape, but like at the same time, like, but you could see like her lips. So I, I just, I, I thought maybe it was bruising, but I just couldn't understand why it was like that. I couldn't either. And it's also, I mean, yeah, I, I'll just, without saying too much. Yeah, I thought she was alive. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, it was, 
it's really disturbing. But like Valerie said, if you want to go see it, go look it up on your own. I'm not posting that shit. I can't look at that at night when I'm alone. Anyways, um, so yeah. So one of the FBI agents said that she couldn't be alive because she was wearing makeup or she couldn't be dead because she was wearing makeup and had no cuts or bruises. Um, Sorry, what? Act- yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently they could tell that from the pictures. How does her not having a cut or bruise on her face mean that she's not dead? Yeah, I don't understand that either. And so they only describe, you know, that one picture. And I've only seen the one that we're talking about. But I guess they could. I don't know if, like, the one that I saw was in black and white. Was yours black and white or was it in color? It was black and white. I don't, I I wonder if, like, maybe they got in color, like, one's in color. I have no idea. But... Um, basically, I guess in some of the other pictures, they could see her armpits because they said that they were shaved. And then the fact that her hair had been braided and her skin looked healthy, um, that that all made them believe that she was alive and not dead. It's not possible to find this picture online, by the way. That's why we're talking about it in that way. Like, it's not possible to find. No, definitely. Like, I, I have Googled it, and I, I could not find it. I want to see it, because I've heard about this, and I... I anyways. I hate, yeah, no, 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 definitely. So, um, yeah, and then they said the reason for the man to be holding, or the hand holding her head was just for shock value, which I do get it, but at the same time, like, that right there kind of would have made me be like, well, the chances are still 50-50 to me. I wasn't, I wouldn't have been totally convinced. Um, Okay. So now that we have discussed that, um, basically, you know, her dad, James, was not too keen on sending any of that ransom money. Um, And the cops, he wanted to actually cancel the debit card. Like he wanted Dwayne to go cancel that account. However, the cops did, advise him to leave it active um that way if there was any activity they could track it right Um, why would he want to cancel it uh, i guess because he just thought like at the beginning he james actually said that he thought that it was going to be one big hoax to con him out of reward money um and you know everybody was kind of like no i don't i don't know i don't think so so yeah and all in all he actually did end up um he did actually deposit some money into that account and um luckily he did do that because that actually led the cops and the fbi to be able to track this debit card Yeah, so he actually deposited $5,000 of the reward money into Samantha's account. And uh, because the FBI did tell him not to do the full $30,000. And we'll find out later why $30,000 was this specific amount. Um, But yeah, so then they started tracking it. And this is where a lot of you see where this person is literally jumping from state to state. Like, he is just attempting like he's i don't know (laughs) but to what benefit if he's going to have his movements tracked by debit card yeah so this is where i'm going to say he's a an idiot for sure um so basically with the um the tracking they ended up 
getting closer and closer to him and hot on his trail, basically. And um, they ended up tracking him to Texas. And they seen where he had had a transaction in um, at a motel in Texas. And as soon as they seen that, they called Texas, the um, agents in they that called area Texas. in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Those people. They just called Texas. <laughs> they called Texas like, hey, Texas, go get him. No. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I just heard you start to say that and I couldn't not <laughs> let it happen. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so yeah, so they called the cops and the cops basically um, went to that hotel and were asking the um, the person up front, what, the clerk, and um, asking them to pull up records and see what room this person got with like this debit card number. And they were able to give them a, um, a room number. And so what the cops did was they basically sat outside and watched um, this man um, coming in and out of the room. So I want to backtrack just a little bit. Before they actually were able to locate him at the hotel, they actually um, noticed that he withdrew or he used an ATM around 2.23 in the morning in a small town in um, Texas. And they were actually able to get surveillance from that ATM. So, like, all of the times that he was using the ATM, he always had that stupid hoodie on with a mask and sunglasses, no matter what time of day or night it was. So, finally, they were able to see a vehicle behind him and luckily some of these officers used their brains and they were like that looks like a Ford Focus so they were able to kind of narrow it down to um they said it was a white Ford Focus with obviously a Texas license plate um wait why does he have a Texas license plate am I making this up right now sorry I was that wasn't supposed to be a trick question no I know um just oh it said they didn't think it had a texas license plate i'm sorry i read that wrong oh okay so So he actually did a lot he rented a lot of vehicles like he would so when i say this guy traveled he traveled so much it is ridiculous i don't know how anybody would want to spend their time um in a car for so long so what he would do is he would buy a plane ticket from Alaska to like Washington, then he would get a, a rental car and drive it from Washington to California. And then he would go and get another rental car and drive from California to fucking Arizona. Like he would do random shit like that. So they, he, I don't know. I think we're going to get into it a little bit more when I talk about him specifically and his character, but he just would, swap in and out of flying and driving and this is literally how he traveled every single time so um so yeah so they said they didn't think it was a texas license plate just because they knew that he had used it um that 
he had already driven through two other states, so the chance, like, obviously, it could have been a Texas license plate, so I lied to you. Um, <laughs> so, they put out a bolo on, um, on him, basically, or on about Samantha, and it said, um, at approximately 2 a.m., the victim was kidnapped in the state of Alaska at her place of employment. Her family and boyfriend have since been cleared of suspects. Um, on 3-7-2012, a debit card in the name of the victim's boyfriend, Dwayne, ooh, I didn't look up how to say his last name, Tortolani. Mm. Tortolini. <laughs> Let's call him Tortolini. Tortolini. <laughs> Sorry, Dwayne. Um, no disrespect. <laughs> just, and we just have to. <laughs> Tortellini. I love it. Um, but it was used at an ATM in Wilcox, Arizona at approximately 10.15 a.m. The card was again used in Lordsburg, New Mexico at approximately 11.30 a.m. The card was last used in Shepherd, Texas on 3-12-2012 at approximately 2.47 a.m. Shepherd is located on U.S. 59. Officers are asked to check rest areas, truck stops, and motels. Officers are asked to bolo for the vehicle with an occupant matching suspect or victim description. Suspect should be in possession of Tortellini's stolen ATM card. <laughs> All right. So then um, one of the cops was, you know, they're from Texas. So he was like, so if this guy was just, he was off, um, he was off of US 59. The next place that he might be headed or he would have to go through is a place called Lufkin, Texas, um, which it has a lot of highways that connect there. Um, and the way he described it, he said it looks like a wagon wheel when you look up Lufkin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's only about a um, it only had. It only had a couple of nice hotels, like, from, like, the next town beside it. So, a lot of people do stop there and rest very often. Um, and so, yeah, so they start checking motels and things of that such, like that bolo. And um, they get to a, um, a motel and they realize that there is a white Ford Focus out there. And, um, so they go and they ask the clerk, you know, who, uh, who is it? Cause like, you know, when you go to like a motel, um, especially ones with like, um, parking passes, they make you write down the license plate number. Yes. So they're like, okay, so who, what room is connected to this license plate number? So it was at a quality inn on um, at a quality end, sorry. So they um, they find out that it is room 115, and one of the um, cops is standing there kind of just doing surveillance, and um, he, he just, um, like I said, he was looking at 115 and 215 because they, they were just checking both of them for some reason. Okay, <laughs> so I have a question. So... You had said earlier that somebody, because his card, the card was used there. Mm -hmm. So were these different police officers at the same time? Yeah. So these were okay. Um, 
these so like the place the last place that he had used it at in texas was um it was called humble texas if i'm if i'm not mistaken and there was so like the next county over was lufkin and i guess they were kind of like they sent the bolo out to like all of the um different counties off of us 59 so um these were a different set of cops okay okay i just wanted to, i wanted to make sure i was following that correctly okay thank you no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> so, all right. So, whenever they were doing the surveillance on the hotel room, um, they realized that. So, they went and they kind of walked around without being too noticeable or looking too weird. Um, so, they seen the car. They realized it was a rental. But when they were looking in the car, they seen that there was um, little girls' clothes in the back seat, and the car actually did have Texas license plates. So when the cop ran it through the system, when they had was two cops. So the other cop actually um, was still looking at the room from the car and they seen a white male adult exited room 215. He's placing items in the white Ford Focus and he's getting ready to go. So then he radioed other police officers and said, I need you to set up on US 59 once that car leaves. You need to find a reason to pull him over and do not let go of that car. So now we're going to go into the idiotic thing that Israel Keys did to get caught. Fantastic. This is my favorite yeah, part. Because they always do something stupid. They get cocky. So, Serial killers get yeah. cocky. <laughs> so my man's here. Um, you know, the cops were following him. They said the Ford was stopped at a traffic light seven minutes out from the quality end. Then um, the light turned green and the Ford Focus accelerated to 57 miles per hour, two miles over the speed limit. The <laughs> officer switched on his emergency lights and pulled the car over. Oh, my God. What a day to be an asshole cop. No, I'm kidding. I obviously was yeah. doing that on purpose, but can you imagine? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I know, right? So, all right. So now that they have him pulled over, they pulled him, they actually pulled over in a um, parking lot of a little cafe called Cotton Patch Cafe. So um, the officer walked to the vehicle and he seen that the driver was a white man, mid thirties and alone. He wore black wraparound sunglasses and, um, the officer asked him, where are you from? And he said, Alaska. And he was like, uh, well, I need to see your driver's license, sir. Please step out of the vehicle. And the man pulled out his wallet, handed his license to the officer and got out of the car. So the um, officer was like, that's really weird in Alaskan to be in Texas while this bolo is out. Um, I think I might have my man. So the, um, the man that he stopped over said, I'm in town for my sister's wedding. It's in Wells, which is 15 minutes from here. The officer took a look at the license and the name was Israel Keys. So, um, Did you just Israel make that noise go off? No, it was my stupid computer. Oh my I God, think. that was just the perfect timing. I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> that was just, that was so perfect. It was Israel Keys. <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah, so Israel Keys 
born January 7th, 1978, who lives in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, he's the police officer said police officer said that he could see a knife tucked in the man's front jeans pocket and another in the rear. So he asked the gentleman to place his knives on the trunk. Um, the officer was really um, nervous, obviously, because you're, you know, you know that you're looking for the suspect and this very well, this man is, you're assuming this man is who you're looking for. Oh my so, God. Like, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I would like, never want to be a cop because I'd be the person like, please don't be it. Please don't be it. <laughs> I know, right? I would be shaking. I know. So, um, luckily, he did have his partner. Um, who did follow him, actually, in a separate vehicle. So he waved his partner to come over and um, kind of stay watch of Israel while he ran, he went and ran the license plate and his, um, yeah, he ran the license plate. And, of course, there was nothing, no record, no warrants, or the driver's license, excuse me, and not even a speeding ticket. So, like, this guy has not committed a crime or been charged for a crime at all. And he looks very good for this kidnapping. Just remember that. Um, so then, you know, Israel keys was like, what is this about? And the officer who was with him, he was like, we're looking into a kidnapping from Alaska. Dun, dun, dun. They told him that. <laughs> hmm? They told him that. Yeah. They did. Oh, like, damn. Fuck? I figured they were. Okay. Okay. I was I not know. expecting that. I said the same thing. I was like, why would you even tell him that? But okay. Whatever. Like, I feel like that's like something that you like don't say until he's arrested. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So, um, so then he's proceeds to tell him, well, I've been mostly staying in Wells, but I stayed at the Quality Inn last night with my brother. I have two brothers in town for the wedding. They're both from Maine. And the guy was like, why are you telling me all this? Like, in his head, he or the officer was like, why are you explaining this to me? Like, you must be lying about something to divulge information I did not ask you for. Right. So, um, the officer did notice that Keys was sweating profusely, more than usual for the weather. Because um, I guess it was like a perfect 85 degrees. I mean, also, um, he's from Alaska, though. So, like, 60 degrees is probably hot to him. <laughs> Right, I'll give right. him that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the officer was like, how long have you been in Texas? And he said, um, since last Thursday, the same day as the big rain. So I guess like that Thursday was pretty memorable because they had this massive storm. And I guess it like caused more than four inches of rain, hailstones the size of grapefruit. Oh, my God. Um, so it was like super memorable. And he was like, so did you fly down here or drive? And um, Keys was like, the only plane ticket I could get from Anchorage was to Las Vegas. So I flew to Vegas, then drove to Texas. Also, I flew into Vegas so I could take my daughter to see the Grand Canyon. So now we find out that Keys has a daughter, which explains the little girl's clothes in the back seat. Um. So then the doctor, or the doctor, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, who? <laughs> the police doctor. <laughs> the authority figure. You're so dumb. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's okay. So um, 
the officer proceeds to ask him, <laughs> where is your daughter now? And... I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, try that again try that again okay so um the officer proceeds to ask where is your daughter now and he says she's in town with my brother in wells she's 10 so um while they're doing this um they are they you know another officer did pull up and they're kind of like um basically breaking it down to them um, so while they're in the midst of explaining it to the third officer, um, Keys spoke up and said, does this have anything to do with the officer who drew, who drove through my parking lot last night? So they all like kind of ignored him. And then the new officer, this officer's name was Rayburn. I didn't tell you the other one. His name was Henry. Um, but Rayburn asked him, did you stay at the quality Inn last night? And he, Israel Keys, proceeds to say yes with my brother. The room's in his name. I've been in and out of there for the past two days. Um, so Ray, the officer Rayburn peered around Keys and into the driver's door. He saw a pair of white sneakers peeking out from under the seat. And he's like, when did you rent the car? And Israel Keys said a few days ago, the day after I flew into Las Vegas last Thursday. So, um... Then they're, you know, asking him some questions and they're, you know, how many states have you stopped in? And he said, I drove Interstate 40 and stopped at the Hoover Dam, but I didn't really stay in any state because I only slept for an hour and a half a night. I drove the rest of the time. And you're like, so like you never stopped for gas? He says, yes, of course, a few times. And then he says, well, how did you pay for it? He's like, I don't know, probably cash. Um and then, you know, he just repeats the question and, you know, Israel Key says the same thing. And um, the officer is like, listen, it's easy enough to corroborate your story. Can we search your wallet? And Key says, you guys aren't searching any anything. Am I under arrest? Sorry. You know, honestly, like from his perspective, I mean, obviously we know that he is the perpetrator. Yeah. But like, I would be really annoyed. Yeah, definitely. Because they're like what the fuck like, like yeah am i under arrest no you can't fucking search through my shit what do you want right am exactly. i under arrest no okay goodbye <laughs> exactly so um so while you know while the one officer's you know talking to him the other officers are kind of like walking around the vehicle like looking in without actually opening the doors or anything and they happen to see a roll of rubber banded cash in the passenger's um, door pocket and there's like a red dye on it and the passenger seat there's also some maps with highlighting on them um so they also um you know he's getting agitate agitated and whatnot and they um oh i'm sorry hold on <laughs> Um, you know, so he's getting agitated and he's at the end, he's kind of like, can I leave or can I at least call my brother? And then, you know, they let him call his brother. And, um, so while they're doing this, they're also communicating with the detectives in Alaska, um, you know, letting them know what's going on. And, um, you know, the detectives in Alaska, they're like, you know, do whatever you have to, to arrest this man. Cause we're, we feel that this could be our suspect. So, um, 
they're basically like, do whatever, do whatever you got to do, whatever, whatever. It's, it's up to you. While they're communicating with the detectives in Alaska, like I said earlier, um, they, you know, they're adamant about doing whatever they have to do to um, get this guy, not let him go because they're really confident that this is their suspect. So um, basically, they, the detect or the officer in Texas goes back to his car grabs a camera and um, gives it to one of the other detectives and they actually start searching the vehicle. They, um, you know, they, from my sources that I got, they didn't actually specify what the probable cause was for this. Um, so I'm just going to go into what they found in the vehicle. Um, so what they found was one can of amp energy drink that was open a set of school photos of a child, one pair of white sneakers, an ATM receipt under the driver's side floor mat reading debit not available, a Sony digital camera containing 200 plus photos of a wedding, one new gray shirt with store tags pa packaging Winchester brand, um, amber tinted sunglasses, no packaging, uh, one t-shirt with one sleeve cut off, a dark gray fleece Columbia jacket, several Walmart bags, rolls of cash in denominations of five and $10 bills. Um, in the back seat, they found a Walmart receipt um, stamped with Lufkin, Texas at 4.10 a.m. on 3.12.12. They found a sandwich, an energy drink, a pair of black sunglasses, a partial gallon of water, laundry detergent, and one peak backpack. Um, in the trunk, they found one green backpack, a gray DVD case containing pornographic images of a black female, pornographic DVDs including transgender pornography, Alaska Airlines flight confirmation of Israel Keys and daughter to depart Anchorage on 3-6-2012. Oh, wait, he really had his daughter with him? Yes, he did. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so... They wait, does his brother really live there? So, yes, his his mom actually moved from, um, where were they, in Utah, I believe, to Texas, which we'll go into um, a little later. Okay. Uh, I guess second. I just thought that he was, like, aimlessly driving. That makes more sense. Yeah, so he, he, literally, he legit went for his sister's wedding. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, okay, I thought that whole thing was a scam yeah. that he's telling the police. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Okay, that's was, cool. No, you're fine. Um, so, yeah, so they went from uh, Alaska to Seattle, Washington, and then they departed Seattle to Las Vegas. Um, they also found bottles of alcohol, still chilled in Walmart bags, another gray fleece jacket, a hooded sweatshirt with amber shooting glasses, and a gray cloth mask in front of the pocket or in the front pocket gloves in another pocket one laptop one black samsung cell phone slider type battery and sim card removed toiletry kit one handcuff or handgun one pair of binoculars one black ski mask and one headlamp and after that they arrested him so <coughs> they um so after they arrested him, you know, the cops ran um, a detailed criminal records check on him. Of course, it came up empty, which was really unusual because people who are um, 
you know, charged with these big, great charges such as, like, kidnapping, um, they usually have, like, priors, and he had nothing. He was literally no one, like a random, like a regular person, and here they are. They got this guy who could have possibly committed this heinous act that we're going to find about find out about so when they ran him ran his driver's license they got his address which is uh 2456 spur lane in turnagain in the turnagain section of anchorage um this was unusual because in that area lived a lot of lawyers prosecutors and judges in that neighborhood Hmm. i thought that was pretty interesting um so at the house um at his home they learned that it was owned by kimberly anderson a nurse at the alaska regional hospital um they also ran an extensive background search on her as well and they um came to realize that that is his actual that's actually israel key's girlfriend that's not the mother of his child but they were all living together um and she had purchased their home and or her home in 2009 and she actually had a nissan xterra that was registered to her and that nissan xterra was actually spotted in some of the um earlier anchorage atm withdrawal videos Hmm. Uh, so the you know when they seen the truck they realized like Back when, when they had started actually searching for Samantha, the um, Alaska Police Department had actually checked out this truck and this address, and they ruled it out. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because this person is nobody. Exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. Okay. Exactly. So, um, you know, while the officers are there, they're looking around, um they did knock on the front door but there was no answer and they they seen that there was like some fresh tire tracks so obviously she had just left so they started kind of looking outside because they couldn't go in without a warrant and what they found was another truck and um on the side of the truck it said keys construction um the pickup had a lumber rack attached to the back over the cargo bed um, you know, kind of like the ones that they put, um, I don't know, you've probably seen it, like, where they put, like, the ladders. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so one of those, and then, um, so this is, this is why I couldn't be a detective or anything, because I'm not as thorough as I think I am, <laughs> so this, uh, this detective is looking closer at this truck, and they realize that the bolts attaching the racks were brand new. But the washers that were with the bolts were rusty. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a fucking second. (laughs) Why were they looking at the racks? So they were just kind of, um, so like the pickup truck was actually on surveillance video, but it didn't have a lumber rack. I mean, I just can't. That's insane. Yeah, so, like, I would have never thought to look at that. But, yeah, so since they seen it on there, they're kind of like, hmm, this is interesting. It kind of looks like the vehicle we saw, but it didn't have this lumber rack. And now they're like, but these bolts are brand new. 
So what a coincidence. Oh my God. I can't even imagine having the capacity to think that way. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So they're like, so it must've been removed before she was taken and then quickly reattached. Why do you think he used new um, bolts? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. No, no, you're fine. So that day, Kimberly Anderson, which once again is his girlfriend, she was picked up by the Alaska Police Department at her job. Can I just say how embarrassing that would have been for me? Oh my god. Um, yeah. So, um, she was taken into the uh, police department and she was actually horrified to hear that detectives wanted to search her house that she shared with Israel and his daughter. She was adamant that her boyfriend had nothing to do with Samantha's disappearance. He was at home with her and his daughter the night Samantha vanished. And he came into her bedroom several times that night. And um, Wait, does he not sleep with her? So that's what they asked. That's what they asked. Okay. They I'm like, glad we're on the same page. Thing. Okay. They're like her bedroom, where did he sleep at? So, um, you know, they kind of get past that. And she was basically like, so he came in, he checked on her, on her, and then he checked on his daughter. And then he woke, he actually rose to at five o'clock in the morning to wake her. Um, and then to wake his daughter, because that day, the two of them were leaving on a flight out that morning. And, um, Kimberly had actually seen them getting to the, get into the cab to go to the airport. So that's the day that, um, he and his daughter flew out of Anchorage. So they flew out of Anchorage and Anderson was supposed to meet up with them a few days later to go on a cruise out of New Orleans. Okay. Yes. Sure. So she okay. like, there's obviously no time for him to have done that. Jokes on her. Now we're going. So we talked a little about a little bit about Kimberly. So now I'm gonna kind of go into um, kind of like the interrogation. Now that they have him, so they kind of like wanted to. They were really careful about how they proceeded this. So I'm going to be reading like verbatim some of the transcript. Um, from this because they did record it um, when they were interrogating him. So basically it started like this. So <laughs> one of the detectives, Detective Ganaway, was like, um, "Do you, would you like a sandwich? We picked one up for you. Kind of to get him comfortable. And, you know, he was like, no, which is really smart, let me just say, because um, anything that you touch whenever you are in a police station if you do not take it with you and you just leave it there or you throw it away in their garbage bag, like if you are guilty, they can get DNA off of that. I never even thought about that. It's because I'm not a, <laughs> a murderer that like it never occurred to me that like don't let them, <laughs> don't touch anything. <laughs> That's so it's funny. It's because of law and That's what it is. Oh my God. <laughs> you could also get like all of my DNA on everything at a TJ Maxx. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, I touch exactly. everything I see. I am the worst kind of or human. Target. Right. <laughs> like, even if I don't want it, I want to touch it. Anyways. <laughs> That's smart. You're right. Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah. Um, so, basically, they were kind of like, um, do you know why you're under arrest? He's like, I don't think so. So, they ended up finding the ATM card. The one belonging to Dwayne, Samantha's boyfriend, <gasps> uh-huh. in his wallet. Oh, my God. 
So when they said that to him, he's like, I don't want to talk. <laughs> and he was like, I want a lawyer. <laughs> so then um, they proceed to tell him, you know, the FBI has pictures of your truck at the crime scene. And he was like, well, if they had that, they already would have talked to me, which he wasn't he wasn't dumb. Like, obviously, <laughs> that was right. Um, so, you know, they kept trying to talk to him. And they really didn't get anywhere. He was still kind of like holding back and he didn't want to help them at all. Um, so what they and so after they didn't get anywhere with him, they actually got in contact with James, Samantha's dad, and they let him know that um, they arrested a man named Israel Keys and that they're going through everything they can or everything that they can find on him. Um, James was dumbstruck. He'd never heard of an Israel Keys. He could not think of a possible connection between this man and his daughter. Um, and, you know, they did advise him not to post anything on social media, anything like that. Um, so, you know, when I tell you that a lot of the things that happened to him are completely circumstantial. So the day that... Um, two detectives from um, Alaska were coming down to Texas to talk to him. There was actually a shooting at the courthouse steps that kind of deterred them for a little bit. So oh, they actually couldn't, they couldn't talk to him. Yeah. It was super crazy. Um, so yeah, that was just a random little side note that I thought I would add in there. Mm. So um, eventually those two detectives did get a chance to come and talk to him. So basically they had um, the ransom note and they slid it across the table to him. And one of the officers who was a female officer, uh, her last name is doll. That's what she goes by. She was like, whoever wrote this, whoever did this is a monster. I don't think you're a monster. So she was kind of like trying to play into like his emotions to see how he felt about dealing with a female. Uh -huh. um, so she was like, I don't think you did this. Um, and um, he was he was like, there's nothing I can do to help you. So still he was kind of, you know, like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to do shit to help you. Nothing like that. So she's like, well, how do you explain uh, her boyfriend's ATM card in your wallet? He's like, oh, now I know how I'm involved in this. <laughs> so okay. this is his story. And this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. He said, someone had left a Ziploc bag in the front seat of his pickup truck a few weeks ago. Inside that bag was a cell phone and that ATM card with a pin number scratched on it. He said he had left his driver's side window open a crack because he was a smoker. Um, and he assumed that someone he had done construction work for who still owed him money left those things as a payment. Okay. So the um, agent doll, she was like, that's a really ridiculous story. We know you did this. We know you took Samantha. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Now they're trying to get him. After that, they're like, okay, he's not working with us. So now they're trying to get him extradited back to Alaska from Texas. Yeah, and get, get rid of him. <laughs> right. And what, it's sorry? Two weeks. Oh, wow. And, yeah, which I thought was kind of crazy, but, you know, whatever. Um, 
in the meantime, they did, you know, they're still investigating him. And they actually found a local website for his business called Keys Construction. Now, I actually didn't look it up to see if it's still a thing. So I might do that for our next episode and kind of um, see if I can find anything. Okay. But basically... Um, on there, they were looking at, like, the reviews, and um, he had, like, a bunch of great reviews. Basically, there was one that there was, um, there was a lady who hired him several times. She said she felt super comfortable with him working on her home when she was there, and even when she wasn't there, um, which I thought that was really kind of crazy. Um, but, yeah, so there was that little bit. And um, so they start getting more information on him, which we'll go over in the next episode when I def or the next whatever, when I talk strictly about him. Um, so, yes. So now they finally extradited him back to Alaska. And this is now March 30th. Um, so now I'm going to go into basically the nitty-gritty details of what he did to Samantha and this is directly from him describing it to the officers oh, or to the okay based on what I know trigger trigger <laughs> help me trigger warning trigger warning trigger warning thank you I don't know why I can't say that trigger I remember Trig you said that last trigger <laughs> I know I do it every time I can't anyways Shortly after 7 p.m. on February 1st, 2012, uh, Israel Keys pulled his white Chevy truck um, out of his driveway and drove to the Home Depot on Tudor Road, 15 minutes away. He made that same drive at the same time several different days that week, curious about the comings and goings at the Common Grounds kiosk. Remember, that's where she worked, Samantha Koenig. So after several evenings of observation, Keys decided to rob it. Um, even though the kiosk sat along a highly trafficked main road, um, there had been such heavy snowfall that, um, the little shack was kind of obscured behind like five foot snow drifts. Um, so that kind of still explains like how little this little shack is. Um, so he had made a quick pick stop to a grocery store and this is where if anybody has um you know looked into this case or heard anything he gets his two uh favorite or two of his favorite things um his snickers bar and some cigars mm. um so then he made his way over to the uh, home depot and he grabbed his coffee mug a pair of plastic zip ties his headlamp and his 22 taurus revolver he wore a tiny police scanner in his ear. So this is the other reason why he's so smart and so good at what he does or what he did, because he actually had a um, police scanner. How did? How is that a thing that people get? I have no idea, but I do know people who do have them, and it is like fucking insane to me. Like I feel like you should only be able to get that like if you are a police officer. Exactly. Like there's it no reason that any civilian <laughs> should have one. Right, right. <laughs> and when I think of this, I kind of think of it as like a Bluetooth. Like it's fucking insane. Yeah, that's that's crazy so, to think about. So he's making sure that nobody's on to him. That's so scary. Okay. 
Yes. So um, he gets out of his truck. He walked across the street towards the kiosk and he wandered around the parking lot for a few minutes just to make sure that nobody else was there. Um, so the investigators kind of asked him, so like, um, was this your first time meeting her? Have you met her before? He's like, no, I never met her. I had never even seen her before. So, um, they also asked like, you know, so then why did you go there? And he said, cause they're open late. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. Um, so he, um, you know, he also was asking them like, um, do you have pictures of the raid you did on my place? Like kind of in between all of the details. And um, cause he kind of like wanted to see what they had. And he was, the officer was like, no, I, I do have some, not a lot of them. And he's like, like which ones? He's like, not a lot of them are printed off. And the reason why he was asking this um, was because basically he had, um, he had two sheds. He had a main shed that was kind of like a garage that was closer to his house. And then he had another one that was um, farther in the backyard. Was it like obviously on his property or could it have been confused for somebody else's property? It was, it was kind of far back. Like they, they had seen, I don't think they had gone far back enough to actually see it the first time they did the search. Okay. And that's what he was trying to find out if anybody's been in that shed. Okay. Yes, exactly. So he's at the common grounds kiosk. He couldn't see who was working inside, but he figured it was a young woman just because these kiosks are practically known for having nothing but young females working them, which is really scary for you to own a business and everybody knows that there are nothing but younger girls working there. And it was actually said that during the summer when it got hot, some of them would uh, wear bikinis while they were working. Oh God. Yes. Yes. Um, so he said, he figured it was a young woman. He said, whoever was working, didn't seem to have a car because there was not one parked nearby. Um, so he was like, she probably did have a boyfriend that was on the way, but he kind of, he just like brushed that off. Um, so he waited to come up to the window just, um, five minutes to eight, just before closing and stood at the large open window, which he knew would have no plexiglass, not even a screen. Well, cause they're giving coffee through the window, right? Yes, exactly. So he put down his empty thermos and asked the barista for an Americano. Now, this is another favorite of his, as we will learn. Um, I mean, I really like Americanos, so. Yeah, they're pretty good. (laughs) Uh, So basically now he had a really good look of who he was dealing with. She was young, small, pretty, and a look, Samantha Koenig. So as she moved back and forth from the window to the espresso machine in this tiny space, it was about three feet wide. He kind of like in his head started running through his plan. And he was like, um, he's like, there was kind of a hitch in his plan because he said that he realized that somebody was actually sitting in a car nearby with the engine idling watching him. What? Yeah. But he said it made him want him to do it even more as a challenge. Yes. So then when Samantha handed him the uh, Americano, he ended up pulling out his gun and said, this is a robbery. 
<laughs> so she put her hands in the air and um, he could tell that she was terrified. He told her to turn off the lights. So when she moved to the back of the kiosk and turned off the lights, um, she returned back to the window. She didn't scream. Um, and he wasn't sure if there was a panic button. And he, um, you know, that's where that police scanner came in handy for him because he knew if she had hit it, he would have heard something about it on the police scanner. Ugh. Also, yep. how would she be able to hit it? I mean, I know we had said that earlier, like, there's a panic button, but, like, if she's the only person there and he's, he has a gun, he's telling her to put her hands up, she's not going to be like, okay, but first let me press this button. <laughs> exactly. Let me hit that real quick. No. Right. So, um, he was basically like, give me all the cash in the register. So, she did that. She emptied the drawer. And he's, t so remember before I said that they couldn't tell if she handed it over or she put it down? Uh -huh. So, he telling them that she literally handed the money over to him. Yeah, she's probably like, here you go. Take it. Take it. Yep. Just take it. Go. Yep. So he was like, get down on the floor. And this is, um, yeah, so this is when he, you know, he's telling them that he felt a little invincible at that moment. Oh. And he was like, he felt this way because she was scared and she did everything I said. And I had an adrenaline rush, I guess. Just decided to do it, see what happened. And well, you guys have the video, so you know what happened. So that's just fucking sickening. Um, so yeah, so she he told her to turn off all the lights and the open sign. And he was still scanning the parking lot. And he saw people coming and going from um, an Alaska, something called the Alaska Club. It's like a gym. Um, and then that person in the idling car finally pulled away and drove off. So, like, that kind of, to me, is, like, you were literally there the night. You Like, they've been looking for this girl. Why didn't you come forward with any information? They might not have been paying attention. I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, if I'm sitting in a parking lot at a coffee shop where I just got a coffee, odds are I'm looking at something on my phone and I'm drinking the coffee. And then, yeah. like, at the last second, like, you know, you glance up just to make sure you're not going to hit anybody. And then yeah. drive off. Like, I can see, like, I'm not, like, terribly observant all the time, which we've talked about yeah. before. Like, I totally, like, if you don't know that you need to be looking for something, like, yeah. I totally wouldn't have thought anything about somebody at the window was weird. Like, I wouldn't have even noticed. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not like definitely. he, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's not like he was wearing, like, a bunny costume. Like, yeah, I would have noticed that shit. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, um... So he told her to get down on her knees and turn around at the window. And this is when he leans over and he binds her wrists and ties them behind her back with zip ties. Okay. Um, so then, you know, he tells her to move out, move out of the way. This is when he does that whole little cheetah jump inside of the window. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then he asks her, where's your car? She's like, I don't have one, but my dad's coming to get me in half an hour. I mean, he's going to be here at any minute. And I know right there she's like, I fucked up. Oh, really? See, I thought, I would say, like, he's on the way. Like, I, I would totally do that because, like, to me, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't say that again. We never know what we're going to say. But, like, I think that's kind of smart because, like, I'm thinking, like, he, she could be like, my dad's on his way to come get me because we close at 8 and he knows I'm getting off at 8. And then he would be like, oh, shit, I got to get out of here. Well, no, I, when I say that she fucked up, it's because she was like, at first she said, he's going to come and get me in half an hour. And oh. then... To like, I mean, he's gonna be here in any minute. 
Okay, so she yeah. she was being realistic about when she was going to be leaving, and then right, and, yeah. right, 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 definitely. So oh, then, that sucks because like I totally get her instinct there. That was good I instinct. Know. I was like, God damn it, because I would probably do the same thing. Um. So yeah. So then he asked her like, "Did you hit an alarm? Don't lie to me. I have a police scanner in my ear. I'll know." So she said, "Obviously no." Um. He's like, "If I hear the police being dispatched here, I will kill you." And she's like, I didn't, I swear. She's scared. Um, he asked her what her name was. And then um, they shut the windows, barred them. He said he took some napkins and, or he took some napkins and stuffed them in her mouth. And then he told her they were going for a walk. So, you know, he, the detectives were like, what were you thinking about at that time? He's like, what about taking her with me? And they're like, yeah. He's like, well, I liked her and that's so sick right and the detective was like but you're scheduled to go on a cruise the next day he's like yeah in a few hours that was kind of part of the idea so um he led her into um led her through the parking lot and on his way to the parking lot once again all this fucking circumstantial shit that works for him he found a new canon camera on the ground it had to be worth at least three hundred dollars what the fuck right so he was like i took that as a good omen i guess <laughs> fucking hate him so then he um he went he bent over to pick it up and this is when samantha is a bad bitch she said she took that opportunity and she broke away and she ran oh my god this breaks my heart I know. And he ended up catching up to her and he tackled her. He's like, he stopped here to, um, he, um, he said that he tackled her and there were people everywhere. What? Yes. That's the part that kills me. So somebody probably saw this man tackle this girl. Yes. With her arms behind her back. Exactly. So then he's like, well, I regained control of her quickly by pressing my um, 22 against her ribs. And, um, you know, he was like, he threatened to kill her if she tried to escape again. So she just nodded and um, and he told her to stumble around a little, lean against him like she was drunk. And, um, and that's how he, how, that's probably why people didn't really pay attention after that. Like, they're like, oh, she's drunk, whatever, whatever. So then, um, you know. They why, would he, to, why would you tackle a drunk person? It just, I don't know. That still <laughs> does, like, that still does not add up for me. Behind her back. Right. Oh, I hate it. I know. I hate it because I, I can totally, just... I can totally see that people wouldn't even notice. People don't notice things that aren't happening to them. Yes, this is the little things that I didn't know about that pissed me off when I found out about this. I can't believe she tried to run. Oh, I, I hate know. it. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so, um, the, you know, he walked her through the Home Depot lot and they got to his truck. And he said there were a few people that were leaning around his, uh, around the Chevy Suburban right in front of his truck. Now he had to rely on her fear basically to paralyze her. So once again, there's people literally in front of his vehicle watching him walk with her to his car, to his truck. So he ended up um, moving her to the passenger door. 
and he was um you know he was pretending to be all chivalrous how you say that chivalrous, chivalrous. and open yeah, the door and opened the door for her and um he kind of leaned down and like made it look like he was whispering something to her and he was like i don't want to hurt you but this 22 is loaded with very quiet ammo it will kill you so don't make me do it i like how i called it quiet ammo right like no <laughs> that that's a bear never mind i won't this this episode isn't about guns but that's like never mind <laughs> you're fine so um you know, he opened the door, and I guess he kind of said that, too, because he had a cluttered, like, passenger seat, so he's trying to clean it off real quick, and um, she was just watching them, and, um, you know, he, I guess, like, in the video, they could, they saw him getting her in the car, and then um, he had paused a few seconds before he drove off and they kind of asked him why. And he was like, I was telling her how it was going to work. Basically. He's like, I asked her a lot of questions. She still had her hands behind her. When I put her in the truck, I helped her into the truck and I put the seatbelt around her and I told her we're going to, we're going to drive somewhere. So, um, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. There were people at a car in front of his car when this was happening. Yes, she was staring directly at them. Okay, so I just want to say something. Yes. And I am not even a little bit victim blaming. I swear to no, God if anybody says no. that. If you were ever in that situation, fucking yell. And I know that probably sounds stupid because you're like, okay, well, this guy says he's going to kill me. What is he going to do? Fucking shoot you in front of these four people? Like, right. if you go to a secondary location, like, your odds of survival are so low. Exactly. So, like, exactly. you're better off yelling and maybe getting shot right there than going to wherever he's going to torture and shoot you somewhere else. I don't care what if somebody's already doing this to you and they say they're going to spare you. I, I mean, make your own decisions. I personally think that, you know, just from how many things that we've talked about, how many cases like this, that if she would have yelled at those guys, he doesn't want a scene. Right. Or even if he, if she would have tried to take off again, like he was clearing out his seat, like she, if they the truck was literally in front of them, the way they, that he's describing it, like she could have literally just took off again. And then they would have seen, she still had the napkin stuffed in her mouth too. Right. And, oh, so she couldn't, that. she couldn't scream. Yeah. But, she still had him, but still imagine. But her arms are tied. He might've had a hold on her. I don't know. I, it's crazy. I, I get it. It's just I just insane. I know. Or like slam yourself against the truck to make a lot of noise and draw attention. I don't know. I'm just thinking like I just personally don't think that if you're going to go to a secondary location that you're going to survive. And so I realize that it might all you might also not survive if you make a scene. I just and so you know don't quote me on any of this, but I'm just yeah. saying like I just personally feel like your odds are a lot higher if you make a scene. Because the odds of him leaving are a lot higher. Exactly. And somebody and noticing are 100%. Point, he was, no, they had no idea who he was. Right. So, there were, you know, his chances of getting away with all the traveling he did were higher. Right. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, it was fucking crazy. So, um, so while they were in the truck, um, apparently she kept telling him, like, you know, my family doesn't have any money. Um, 
And he was like, oh, um, the way this works is they'll get the money. So you don't need to worry about that. I'm going to take care of all that, but you need to do what I say. Um, and it said, and he said, like, the more I talked to her, the, the more that he was seeming like a, a normal person to her, basically. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't yelling at her. He was just talking to her. And it's so crazy that he even thought of himself as a normal person. Like, no, what you're doing is not fucking normal. Right, that's totally not normal, okay? Exactly. So, at this point, they drove out of the parking lot. Um, He noticed that her belt buckle wasn't actually secure. And, uh, because it was an older truck, you know, um, it didn't have, like, electronic locks or anything. So, if she twisted free and jumped out of the passenger door, there wouldn't be much he could do. Um, He'd have to abandon the plane altogether. But then he ended up stopping. So get this. They stopped at a red light. And a police car pulled up next to Samantha with two officers inside. Mm-hmm. Tom, did she did she look at them? Oh man, 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 man. So I don't know if I can handle what you're about to tell me. Okay. Okay. So basically, so really quick. Keith picked this part of Alaska to also do this crime because on that night, there was a huge festival across town, and he knew from his scanner that almost all the police officers were over there. So he said he literally watched her kind of work in her mind, like work out the options in her mind. He's like, what? I wonder what she's thinking about doing. So... While he was assessing the risk as well as she was, like, of what she would do, the, um, you know, he was also paying attention to the scanner, and they had not had any reports of a missing teenager, and um, she literally did nothing. She did nothing. She was probably paralyzed in fear. Yes. I guess, like, with her thinking, she was kind of like, well, I'm better off just not doing anything than trying to cause a scene or trying to get out and him killing me. Well, especially if he was acting quote unquote normal and she was like, okay, maybe he's not going to kill me. Like, this is fine. I can be held for ransom for a little bit. Like I'm going to be fine. Definitely. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Okay. No. So, you know, the light turned green, the patrol car drove away and um, you could just, he said you could just see like her, like she was definitely like, I'm never fucking getting out of this. Like she, she knew what was going on. So, um, they ended up driving to a park, not far from his house. And this is how paranoid he is. He had already had his cell phone off and the battery out of the cell phone the whole time. Oh my God. That's so smart. Yes. yes. It can't be tracked. No, I hate it. I hate everything. No, I know. I fucking hate it. Um, so while they were at the park, um, you know, the cops were like, um, there were a few people down there, like in that park, they were down by some baseball fields. He said there was actually several people in silhouette shouldering ski equipment. They were heading toward his truck. And he was like, this was like a totally another, like another opportunity for her to escape. And she just sat there quietly. And the people loaded up their car and then they just drove away. I wonder if I wonder if he told her, like, 
if you cooperate, like, I'm not going to kill you. And he, uh, he technically, yeah. he hadn't hurt her thus far. Yeah, he only threatened to kill her. Right. He, was... he didn't, like, I mean, he tackled her, but it's because she was running. <laughs> like, he, he didn't, like, physically do anything. It's not like he hit her and then was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And, like, he hadn't physically hurt her yet. And he was humanizing himself. Exactly. I hate it. There's so much psychology in this and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. Like, I can't. My brain isn't, I feel so bad for her. I can just imagine what's going through her head during this. Yeah, I I can. Oh, yeah, my I God. Don't even know. Um. So, yeah. So, he ended up sitting there for a couple more minutes, just making sure that car didn't come back. So, then he finally got out. And um, he, this is when he decided to, um, he got out and he decided to install those um those racks on the back of his truck he um installed them right then and there and he actually um like was keeping an eye on her as best as he could and he said he noticed her trembling and he told her to lay in the back of the truck like on the inside um and he covered her with drop cloths so, like, in a way, he was trying to comfort her, knowing what he was going to do ultimately was kill her, which drives me insane. You Do you think that he knew he was going to kill her the entire time? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and there's going to be a quote in here um, that's he literally says, when I, that night, I knew what I was going to end up doing was killing her. Like, I knew she was not going to make it out alive. I wonder if she just, like, she, I'm sure she was just, like, talking herself, like, down. Like, this yeah. is fine. It's gonna be fine. Right. Just cooperate. Oh, my right. God. Okay. So, but this time it's 11 o'clock. He's, like, thinking um, that his daughter's asleep, but he knows that his girlfriend is still awake because she's, like, a night owl. So, he was, like, at this time I realized I had a lot to do and not very much time to do it. Because, um, remember, he's still going on that trip with his daughter. Oh like, God. they meet at yeah. 5 o'clock in the morning that next morning uh-huh. he realized that um he needed to make his ransom demands so he decided to go to walmart and buy a burner phone which you know he figured out that it was untraceable so once he pulls into the parking lot at walmart he actually started thinking about that again just because there was a shit ton of cars parked outside uh, for that time of night and there's surveillance cameras everywhere um, and he remembered that Walmart had some of the best surveillance in the country, which is fucking crazy. And Do it they? is true. Never steal from Walmart. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's kind of uh, crazy because, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, he actually ended up remembering that there was a better option and decided that they should return to the kiosk and grab Samantha's phone because they left that there. Oh, it didn't even occur to me that she wouldn't have her belongings. Yeah, I didn't think about that either. He had also forgotten to lock the kiosk door anyways. If he, you know, he could just go in real quick and then lock it on the way back out. So then they went back to the kiosk. That's risky. That, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, um, I was sure she was going to get away at that point, even though I had tied her up pretty good. But I did threaten her. And I told her I was only going to be a couple minutes. If I came back and it looked like you've been trying anything, you know, it's not not going to be happy. And he was like, you will regret this and I will hurt you. 
So he got on the pickup truck, went to the kiosk, and he opened the door and he found her cell phone. Then he noticed stray zip ties on the kiosk floor. He picked them up with his gloves still on and rearranged a few things so it looked like she cleaned up, then left. He is the worst. So then... Well, he did a bad he, job at the cleaning up, clearly. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, he did. He did. So after walking away a few feet, he actually remembered that her car keys were still in the kiosk. So I guess her and Dwayne had two sets of car keys. Like maybe one of them had a copy of them. Um, so he ended up going back and taking those. And, um, you know, that kind of made the risk of him getting caught even greater. And he thrived on that. Like that's the adrenaline rush is what like helped him do all of this basically dude like go skydiving right so he entered this kiosk not once not twice but three times and one of the times he flew in like a fucking cheetah okay exactly yes so yeah he basically went back to his truck he checked her cell um and you know he figured out that she was telling the truth about not having any money so he um decided to drive and after a few moments of silence um samantha actually talked to him she was like telling him that she had to go pee and um yeah i probably would have tried that a long time ago just saying (laughs) i mean it it didn't work right no well no because he was like um he thought it could have been a ploy, but he couldn't risk an accident in his truck. So, yeah, it actually didn't work. He didn't want DNA to be everywhere. So, he did end up pulling over to, like, an empty lot. Um, it was, like, near the water. He grabbed some rope from the truck's bed and tied it around her neck, then cut the binds onto her seatbelt. And then he walked her out to the grass like a fucking dog and let her, like, he loosened up the um, rope around her neck just enough so she can bend down and pee. Oh, my God. So, also, what I'm hearing, which never occurred to me before, and I'm sorry this is a really fucking shitty thing to say, but, like, if you're in this situation, maybe you should pee in their car. Definitely don't even say shit. Just pee and poop all over the place. <laughs> they're either, <laughs> either going to be like, let this bitch go. Or at least, you know, at least they have to scrub their car to be able to get that out. And they might not even be able to get it all out. That's kind of like, exactly. it's something I like, never even really thought about. Like, just to like pee everywhere. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah, I never thought about that either. And, you know, I'm not trying to like, by any means, like, this isn't a funny thing to talk about. No. But in my head. I would really, really hope I had, like, diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) I would be nervous pooping all over the car. (laughs) I would literally be shitting everywhere. I would have been like, oops, I had Taco Bell today, so my stomach's really fucked up. (laughs) You would be like, I totally get that. Um, I'll pull over. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's not funny. It's not funny. We're not making fun of Samantha Koenig, obviously. What's happened to her is really shitty. But I'm just thinking outside of the box a little. Like, this is like a life rule. Like, if you get kidnapped, just shit everywhere. (laughs) At least piss all over the place. Like, do what you can. Like, you know, it's funny because I always read things that people like will like yank out a couple strands of their hair, which is also incredibly smart. Um, And different things like that. And like trying to like 
touch everything and like you know um something about like you can do with your nails like uh like I bite my nails for no reason I do too so like you know getting your nails like in places but like really it's really clever to just piss everywhere (laughs) see like I would have never thought about that until this until I read this and like kind of had the same thought as you because like that is genius it is it really is okay I love it (laughs) all right I'm here for it right right so he let her out and he said by that time they were actually smoking cigars like this is the thing whenever we're gonna find out when he kidnaps um bill and lorraine that he does this with the females so he um he shares his cigars with them and it's like i don't i guess like they do it just out of like terror but in a weird way, it's kind of like he's trying to calm them down. Kind of like the calm before the storm. That's kind of, I mean, I don't even know what I would do. Like, if I, if somebody had kidnapped me and they were, you know, like, threatening my life and then they handed me their cigar. Like, I, I mean, I guess I would take it. Right. Exactly. And um, so, like, when the officer or the detectives heard this, they were kind of, they kind of thought the same. They're like, like, how would you feel knowing this monster that kidnapped you is sitting here holding a lit cigar to your face like if you don't take it what's gonna happen and um you know she was really brave she was like kind of trying to connect to so kind of like chill out and stuff like that so anyways um they you know he they were at that park and he said that she kept trying to he said she kept trying to talk to me you know so i had to tell her to shut up a few times (laughs) but for the um I was still being nice about it. So after Earthquake Park, which was a different park, um, they were out there for a few minutes and there were other people out there. So the entire time he's had this girl, there have been people everywhere. Everywhere. He, I, I just feel like he must have been like somewhat wholesome seeing. Like he might, he must have convinced her in some way. And I know he's not saying that that he Mm -hmm. was only going to use her for ransom and like she's going to be fine because at this point he still has not physically hurt her right exactly so she um, must have thought in some way that she was going to be safe yeah and that is like that part where he's like playing tricks like with her like like you said like this whole time he's just been telling her i only want the money I'm not going to do anything. If your dad cooperates, then I'm letting you go. Like, that's it. Right. So, um, then, you know, they, um, they get back in the truck and they're leaving that park. And he's like, I realized my trunk or my truck, it, um, the empty light had been on for like a while. So he was like in his head, he was thinking like, that would be great. Just run out of gas in the middle of nowhere with all this going on. So they actually ended up pulling into a gas station and, um, this is another reason why he's so smart. He changed his jacket again. Like every single, he said he kept changing jackets. So like he would go between two jackets at every stop that they made. Mm, that way he wasn't like this. He they couldn't tell who he was in surveillance footage. Is that the idea? Yeah. So kind of like if it ever came up again, like if they did, you know, ask for people to reach out if they've seen this man and they show them the surveillance photo of this guy in a dark jacket, 
Well, they're going to be like, yeah, I saw a guy and a girl in a, in a pickup truck, but he didn't have on that jacket. He had on a totally different one. Mm, that's tricky. Okay. Yes. Yes. And that's when he decided to send the text messages to um, Dwayne. And then that's when he decided to pull the battery out of the phone. And when the cops, and when the detectives asked him, they're like, so what does that do? Why, why did you do that? He's like, you can't track it as far as I know. And they're like, so why not just turn it off? He's like, cause I'm paranoid. So like, <laughs> because I kidnapped this girl and I want to make sure my bases are covered. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. So, um, all right. So then he finally drove home. And um, it was around midnight and it was freezing cold, but there were still people like his neighbors still walking their dogs outside. So he realized like he was going to have to wait some more before he could do anything with her. And he basically told her, don't try and sit up. Don't say anything. Just chill out back here and be quiet. And I'll talk to you in a minute. There's some stuff I got to do. So this is when he gets out. And, um, he, you know, he's like, just describing like what she could be thinking. Like basically she probably heard the dogs barking. She, um, at this point she probably could have gotten out of the truck, but, um, you know, she was scared and apparently like nobody said anything. His girlfriend didn't even come outside to check on him or anything because the officers were like, so you're so Kimberly was still up, but she didn't, you know, hear you out there and didn't come out to check on you. And he was like, no, she's pretty oblivious when it comes to what I do. So <sighs> whatever. The detectives were kind of like, um, you know, what were you thinking during that whole time? Like, what were you going to, what was your plan? And he's like, the shed was already set up. He had two heaters going in there and had a big tarp. He said it was like a nine by 12 tarp laid out on the floor and there was a radio in there. And he, he guessed that it was probably between one and two in the morning when he finally got the nerve to get her out of the truck and walk her over into the um, shed. He said he had her blindfolded and he was trying to tell her, you know, don't try to look at anything because we've got to get this thing worked out. So then he finally got her in the shed. And he said, I'll make you comfortable. Just sit here. But I'm going to have the police scanner on me. So if I hear reports of screaming from this neighborhood or anything, any disturbance from over here, I'm going to be back here before the cops get here. Right. So there he is again, scaring her. So um, apparently he turned the radio up in that shed like really really loud with heavy metal drowning out any noise so if she did make any noise nobody would hear her all they would hear was this loud ass music mm-hmm. um he said that she was like really cooperative she didn't seem like she was going to try anything he gave her a five gallon bucket for her to pee in and then dumped that out onto the trailer and then stuck it back in the shed so she'd have something to sit on and then took a piece of rope and put it around her neck and screwed it to the wall on both sides. And right here in the um, transcript, he says that he changed her. At least that's what the um, reporter um, put in there, but they're thinking that he meant he chained her like to the wall, but we're not really sure. Um, so 
anyway, so then he was like, he moved her hand so that they were in front of her so she could smoke. And um, he just told her to chill out. So then at this time is when he asked her to give him, give him her address. And then that's when he ended up leaving and he went to her house and went through her truck. And that's when him and Dwayne ended up seeing each other. Oh my God. Okay. Right. So then after that, he went back home. He checked in on his girlfriend who was finally asleep. It was about two 30. And then just keep this in mind in about two and a half, two and a half hours. That's when him and his daughter were going to have to leave to get on that plane to go on um, their trip. When he went to her house, he actually also took his girlfriend's car. He didn't take his truck. And he said he parked it about three or four blocks away from their house. And that's when he walked over there. And all of that happened with Dwayne, which was still stupid. And I don't understand how he just <laughs> stood there. I mean, for real, um, though. Yeah, the that completely fuck. blows me off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then... Um, around three o'clock in the morning he returned to the shed um and he you know um he knew he had to be going soon so he was trying to kind of rush at this point so he tells the detectives he's like yeah i was running late and like laughs about it like it was just a date that he had to go to or something important um so the detectives were like so where was samantha when you left in the cab um that morning right and um he was like she was in the shed and then they asked him was she alive and he said yeah i might save that story for later oh my god yeah so this is this is kind of like i'm gonna have to go back in a little bit but i still wanted to go through this part of the um you know of them talking um, so this is when they ask him, was she alive in the photo that you posted on that, um, at the park? He's like, nope. And then they're like, was she alive when you got back from your trip the morning of February 18th? Nope. Was she alive when you left? Um, he's like, that would seem like an obvious, um, question. So he was like, no, <laughs> she wasn't. Um, so yeah, that was kind of tough um all right so then now he's going to get in kind of like the nitty-gritty but before he did that um he demanded that um, there was a couple of officers there's like at least like five officers and in that room with him he wanted them he wanted only two of them in there for some reason, he was being really weird about that. And he also had a, de a couple of demands. So one of his first demands before he told them any details, he wanted um, them to stop tearing his girlfriend's house apart. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want them talking to her ever. He's like, he didn't care if they believed him or not, but she had nothing to do with that. And, um, you know, I don't, he doesn't want them to talk to her. So, um, all right, so now we're going to get into what exactly happened. And this is going to be a lot of trigger warnings because this is this is going to be some deep shit. Okay. Um, all right. Are I'm, you here ready? For, I'm here for it. I'm ready. So 
once again, he's being really careful about any DNA transferring from her to his shed. Um, so basically he had no specific plan or person and idea whenever he was, um, you know, looking for somebody to kidnap. <laughs> um, and like I said before, he thought that common grounds, um, common grounds is really good because there's a bunch of teen girls that are there. And, um, he, when he, he said whenever he returned to the shed, um, Samantha was remarkably composed. She asked if everything was working out. So like this breaks my heart because she still had hopes that he just wanted the money. Right. She was like, did really good my dad? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, he's like, yep, I did. And everything's working out fine. So then at that point, so like, yeah, he's being a douchebag. But at that point, he um, unscrewed the rope from the wall and he cut her cable ties. Um, and he told them, he's like, I knew what I was doing. I was igniting that last spark of hope, letting her think that um, I'd be um, getting the ransom money uh, while untying her and allowing her to think that surely this was the end. And that um, everything that he promised all night of letting her go, like he was he seen that in her eyes like she was getting that last glimmer of hope and then he restrained her again and this went in a more complicated um, way using ropes rather than cable ties and he said at that point she knew that she was never leaving that shed oh my god and, I hate that. right like just I could only imagine the sadness that came over her when she realized she was never going to leave um, I wonder what so, she knew you know what I mean like, I wonder if it was, if it was that moment when he tied her in a different way that she was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he went through all of that, untying her, and then just to retie her again. What a and fucking just asshole. See her. Right. Like, what the fuck? Like, toying with her. And I hate that. Um... So, yeah, he left the shed again, and he went and checked on his girlfriend. And then he said his girlfriend was awake. Oh, wait, his girlfriend in the house, like, 100 yards from the shed? Yeah, she was awake. Okay. Exactly. So, you know, nothing. I guess nothing happened because he didn't, like, go into details about anything. So then again, he goes back to the shed, um, and he had the space heaters on, and, um, you know, he still had that heavy metal on and he said like the music was so loud it was shaking the walls i mean i know it's a shed but i can't imagine like how loud that music is enough to shake it to what benefit um, to why why so they could if she decided to scream but like, wouldn't that draw more attention having that super loud music to the shed I'm going to assume that this was a common thing for him since he is a construction worker. Um, you know, he owned his own company. Like, he probably stayed out in that shed a lot of nights working on things. I was going to say, um, isn't it like the middle of the night by now? Yeah, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, I just can't, like, imagine, like, his neighbors not thinking that that was fucking weird. Like, that would have pissed me off if I woke up to that. Exactly. And the fact that they're all like lawyers and judges and shit, like that would really like piss me off. And then on top of that, if I was his girlfriend, I would have been out there like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You've got to get up in literally two hours. Right. Are you not planning on sleeping at any point? 
Like I'm, I feel like she went outside. She had to have hurt something, anything. Like there's no way you're telling me she was a, at least a little bit curious about what he was doing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, so, um, all right. Once again, trigger warning. Um, he went back in and he raped Samantha twice. And when he was describing how long it took, he said it took a while, maybe two or three songs on the radio. Oh, God. That's yeah, disgusting. he Fuck said um, when he was done, he stood above her naked and she asked if he was going to kill her. And she said she tried to talk him out of it. And um, he said it was admirable because she just kept trying to talk to him and talk him down from killing her but you know he didn't give a shit at that point so then he proceeds to put his leather gloves on and you know they did ask like why leather gloves and not regular like latex rubber gloves and he was like because it's hard work to strangle somebody I know from the minute that she, I knew from the minute that she walked out of that coffee stand, she wasn't going to live. She never made a sound while I was strangling her. Oh my God. Um, they did ask him how long it took. And he said it was taking, it was taking a while. It was hard to tell. Um, he's like, I remember thinking I still have to shower. Oh my God. That's what he's thinking about as he's killing this poor girl. Yep, he still has to shower and get some kind of rest. So, um, he ended up stabbing her once right below her right shoulder blade in her back. And he said it didn't go, well, he, I guess, like, it was taking too long for her to actually, for him to kill her by choking her. So, this was his next step. Um, he said it didn't, it wasn't going very deep and, um, I didn't really stab her to make her die fast or anything. It was something else. But so I, that didn't really make sense to me. Like he just, I don't, I don't know what his whole motive was. He's and the dog detective was like, did you stab her because you were so attracted to her? And he said, no, I'm not going to go into that. He, so I finished my wine and put my pants on, went back into the house and took a shower. So then at that point, he woke his daughter and uh, because, you know, it's fucking five o'clock in the morning now when they're getting when they're having to leave or a little before. And he's like, while she got ready, he went back into the shed again. Um, He left the space heaters on to slow rigor mortis. He rolled Samantha's body in a tarp, opened his lower cabinets, hid her remains, turned off the heaters double lock the shed door and called the cab. Why the fuck would he want a slow rigor? Don't I don't know because he like he leaves her in her in the shed basically while he goes on this um this cruise. So you know the detectives were like, so what was your plan? You were getting on a plane and her body was in your shed. What were you thinking? He's like I was thinking it was twenty degrees outside and I didn't have anything to worry about. Uh were you worried about getting caught? Nope. Why not? Partly because it's Anchorage. I'd been listening to the police scanner a lot recently and just kind of felt like by the time anybody figured out what had actually happened, the trail would already be cold. And even if they had pictures of my truck, they wouldn't know whose truck it was. 
they wouldn't have tire tracks. They wouldn't have forensic evidence. They wouldn't have shoe prints. They certainly wouldn't have fingerprints or DNA or anything. So I didn't worry about it. Basically, at this point, the, um, you know, his dad, her dad, excuse me, is like holding like these candlelight vigils and stuff like that still. And her dad, James, still didn't know anything at this point. Um, he still didn't know that they had Israel Keys in custody or anything like that. But he did post on Facebook that this is what it said. It said, now that it's getting warmer and the snow's melting, please keep your eyes open for anything that might be out of place. Check your surroundings. You just never know where that one lead might come from to bring our Samantha home. Aww. So, um, you it. know, they went on the cruise... Um, and so Samantha was left in that shed for two weeks. Oh my God. Two weeks. (laughs) Um, so they returned back home on February 18th. So I guess he had been checking the weather while they were out of town and he knew that it was getting warmer in Anchorage. So as soon as he got home, he went to the shed to assess the body, um, And Kimberly was still traveling during that time. So a phrase that they use in this book that I'm getting all my references from, they call the rest of the United States the lower 48. Which makes sense to me. It's just a little side note. I didn't realize what it meant until like I was almost done with the book. (laughs) Hey, we are the lower 48. We're all of it. Exactly. So, yeah, she was still traveling what they call the lower 48 until the 22nd. So he's had a little bit of time to do what he wanted to do. Um, So he waited until Monday, the 21st, after his daughter went to school and began began taking the shed apart from the inside. He dismantled cabinets, shelving, lights. He worked around Samantha's remains still in the lower cabinet and chopped everything he'd ripped out of the shed into firewood. What the actual fuck? Okay. Exactly, like, it's like you're fucking sitting there sweeping around the fucking body rolled in a tarp. What the fuck is wrong with you? To what benefit? Like, eh, never mind, just, yeah. (laughs) I know. Um, And I'm not laughing at the thing, I'm laughing at Valerie and her reactions. Um, We're we're getting really defensive about that, sorry. We just, we don't want people to ever think that we're making fun of victims, we're not. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, he rolled some his body um in the foam mat sleeping bag and the tarp uh, he rolled her out of the cabinet and onto a piece of this this queen so the sleeping bag she'd been on he said was pretty much soaked with blood oh god um, so he took everything samantha had been wrapped in cut it all up and tossed each piece into a double layer contractor bag the clothes he wore that night, along with his shoes, would get burned or go in the landfill. He took out Samantha's purse and rifled through it, tossing aside almost everything except her cell phone and out of change. He took the coins and mixed them with his own in a jar. Ugh. So now you're stealing her change? What a douchebag. Don't trust people who keep their change in a jar. Oh, I keep my change in a jar. Don't. That's what exactly, this, this proves my point. Don't trust me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, um, 
So, you know, detectives were like, so why would you even bother with the change? He's like, I was probably being, like, really paranoid. But I was thinking, like, technically there could be some of her DNA on that. So why not? And then they were like, so did you braid her hair? And he's like, no, not right away. So that after his daughter got back from school that day, they did homework, had dinner, and she had gone to bed. He built um, a fire in the living room fireplace and said it was about 1 or 2 a.m. now February 22nd, which remember later on on the 22nd is when his girlfriend is supposed to come back into town. Okay. So um, he burned the tarp and everything Samantha had touched, once again, hiding any kind of DNA evidence. Um, back in the shed, he took a large piece of plastic and tacked it along the floor and walls, which he had scrubbed earlier with a bleach-filled grout sponge to keep the surface area of the floor unobstructed. He hung Samantha's body up, lifting her arms above her head, tying rope around her wrist, and screwing the rope into a wall. The detectives asked him, so then what happened? And of course... He's being an asshole, and he's like, well, you're only going to get an abridged version. So he said, let's just say I called uh, her out and um, had a table made in the shed at that point. So after you thought her out, was she still, was, was she still, was she not rigid? And he said, no, no, she was very floppy. So what did you do? Well, I wouldn't tell you this part, except you're going to find out anyways. So, um, he said that basically I had sex with her, her corpse. And, um, you know, she was warm and I guess I lost track of time. Oh my God. Oh, I never knew this part. Like I never knew he practiced like necrophilia with her and yeah. So, by this time, it was morning, and his daughter came looking for him, knocking on the shed's door. Wait, what? Yes, yes. When he said he lost track of time, he literally lost track of time to the wee morning hours when his kid fucking shed. Like, if she wouldn't have knocked and just opened the shed, she would have seen him with a dead body. I'm stressed out. I know, I know. Anxiety I'm so stressed. I know. Okay. All right. So he um, told he came to the door and he said, "I'll be out in a minute. Go back inside and eat your breakfast." And um, he's like, "She was. I mean, at that point, anytime I opened the door, Samantha was like right there." Oh my god! Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And he laughed while he was telling them this. I can't fucking stand him. He's a so then he cleaned himself up and went inside to get his daughter ready for school, leaving her body out in the shed all day again. So once his daughter was gone, he ran through his checklist and, um, you know, Kimberly was coming back. So he still had a lot of work to do. So he picked up his daughter from school that afternoon and took her to their local Target um, where he bought a Polaroid camera. To his frustration, the store didn't stop matching film, um, so he had to wait until after they were done with her homework and dinner and stuff to go get it. Um, and I wish I knew how 
how old his daughter was during this time, but he said that when she was asleep, he left her alone in the house and made an hour-long drive to a Target in a nearby city. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, at that point, or at some point, he also bought a big foam sled, tote bags at Home Depot, carbon ribbon, and paper for a typewriter he'd found at a Goodwill, a sewing kit, and a 10-pound fishing line. And he also pulled a a copy of the Anchorage Daily News dated February 13, 2012 from a dumpster behind the supermarket. So the detectives asked him, why did you pick the 13th? And he said, because I wasn't in Anchorage on the 13th. And yeah, so once I had all that stuff, I really can't remember, but I know it took me all night to do it. And they were like, to do what? He's like, all night to get the makeup done. So aside uh, from the cell phone and ATM card, Keys had saved the makeup Samantha kept in her handbag. He bought more at Walmart, and he also used makeup that Kimberly had left stashed in their garage. So um, another day went by, and Kimberly was home. Um, he's like she he knew for sure that she was home because he wait he had to wait until it was really late for him to be able to go back outside in the shed. And at that point he positioned Samantha's body for the ransom photo. But the biggest challenge was her face. Samantha's muscles had gone slack and no amount of makeup was going to give her an expression. She had been dead for approximately twenty one days. So in his retelling, he says, that's when I kind of gave up on, like, the mouth and stuff. I just uh, decided to tape it. I taped it so that, you know, it looked like her face had some texture to it, I right. guess. And then I was still having problems with her eyes or her forehead, you know, because there was no expression. And um, I tried super glue. That didn't work. And so I took the needles I had. Um, I had a big curved needle. I forget what they call it, but I had that. And then I had that 10 pound test fishing line and I, uh, uh, sewed the needle and went her brow, like right between her eyebrow and down up along her nose cartilage under the skin and came out and then went back up along the same path and did it again and then pulled it tight to make it look like she was squeezing her eyes shut. And then I took a test picture just to kind of see what it was going to look like. And I think I put a little more makeup on her after that. And I already had her hair braided at that point. And I put foundation Everywhere, like every part you see in that picture has foundation on it, two or three different kinds. Um, And they asked him, you know, why did you do that? He's like, well, she didn't look good. I mean, her skin, you could see it started to see the blood under the skin. And I mean, she was still in good shape, but, you know, she definitely didn't look alive. He said that it took between three and five hours to get the makeup done. Then he began taking test pictures, which also, uh, which were also more difficult than he anticipated. And he needed to hold Samantha's head up. He said that he took about five or six pictures before he finally had the one um, that showed what he wanted. And when they asked why the corner was cut off of the picture, he said, "Yeah, well, I cut the edges off the whole." 
photograph. At first, I was thinking of giving the Polaroid and have the note separate. Then I decided it would be harder for you to figure it out if I scanned the picture with a printer, not through the computer, but just with the scanner onto the paper. And that way, you probably wouldn't know for sure that it was a Polaroid. And um, the detective was like, did you cut the corner off because it showed the mark on your arm? He said, well, it wasn't so much the brand that was showing, but I have some moles on my arm. And I looked at it pretty carefully. And I guess I was just thinking that it might show something. So I wanted to keep the minimum amount of my arm in there and get the message across. And when asked why he went through all the trouble to do that, he said, well, to put it this way, I mean, it's obvious why I did it. I did it. The bottom line was to get money out of it. But at the same time, it's not like I didn't want to do it. When asked about the amount that he came, he came up with, the $30,000, um, of course, this is when he tells them that he had begun following media coverage of her disappearance and was astonished by how much money was raised so quickly. He told him he had no idea that his movements could be tracked by using the debit card, which was kind of hard to believe by them. Like he was so tedious about everything else and so smart, I guess, when it came to like the taking out the battery from the cell phone. Why wouldn't you think that an ATM card is? So at this point, Kimberly has come back from her travels and she actually came back with a friend named Kevin. Um, and this was around the time that he, Keys was like, I need to get her, get rid of her body. Um, you know, the weather was getting warmer. There was no way that he could contain the smell and he couldn't risk a wild animal demolishing the shed. So he had to move super fast. Um, he said he remembered that there was a lot going on, but there was one day that there was nobody around at the house and I brought the typewriter into the house and it didn't take me that long. I opened that pack of computer paper I got and put it in the typewriter and the thing worked fine. And I typed up one draft of the ransom note, stuck it in the printer feed tray, hit copy with the picture in there. I had latex gloves on the whole time I was typing it and I never touched the paper or anything. And it was funny because one of the detectives was like, so you misspelled words on purpose? And he's like, no, I didn't. He's like, I wasn't really concerned about the wording of it. I had an idea with like the message I wanted to get across. And um, then they said, you said she escaped on scooter. And that was true. Well, almost escaped. And then you said, and once in the desert. And he was like, that was a calculation that I had in my head from the time the picture was taken to the time the ransom note was given, which was about 10 days. Um, he was thinking, make it sound as if she had been sold as a sex slave somewhere in Mexico. That's about how long it would take to drive there from the 13th and get back to Anchorage. So he thought like really far in advance during this fucking ransom note, which... I fucking, I can't. Um, so with his latex gloves still on, he put the ransom note and the photo into one Ziploc baggie, which he then put into another Ziploc bag. And then he tacked the, the package to 
Connors Bog Park community board around six o'clock in the morning and he knew somebody would find it. And that's when he um, texted Dwayne to that um, that message where it's like, ain't she purdy? Um, so during, so during that time, he used his girlfriend's car to go there and he wanted to see the response, but he knew he needed to wait. So he actually ended up dropping Kimberly and Evan off friend's house. And at that point, he realized that there was another winter festival. So he actually went back to the um the park and he watched at the um a couple of patrol cars got to the crime scene and a crime scene van and he's like i knew right away that the message had got through so he ended up driving back home and um kevin was now inside for the night and kimberly was out with her friends so he was kind of debating on removing her body from the shed and he basically calculated his risk he was like was it safer to wait until kevin went home or um kimberly wouldn't go near the shed ever since she discovered oh so this is why kimberly never went to the shed so apparently she had found out that he was growing weed in it and um she got so angry and she just resent um was it resented like the whole thing and she just never went back to that shed which i think is stupid like i would think like oh i'm fine i found you growing weed i'm gonna keep going back to make sure you're still not fucking growing weed he kind of gets into describing like him and kimberly's relationship and he was like basically he's never home he was always drinking. Well, he started drinking way more than usual. His credit cards were maxed out. And she went to work and took care of their two dogs and kept the house in order. And um, he was just distracted all the time. He said he knew it was over. He had been depressed about it. But she never wanted any children. And get this. She actually never warmed up to his daughter. So, like, me as a mom, I kind of would have been like, fuck you. You don't, you're not showing, like, any kind of, like, or showing, like, you want a relationship with my kid. So, fuck you. Like, why would you even be with that person? But I guess he still wanted to be with her. So, his plan after all this was to actually take his daughter and relocate somewhere in the lower 48. Um, but he said that was in the future. Right now, he had to get Samantha out of the shed. So um, he's like, you know, she started to smell a little bit. So I wanted to keep her, but I didn't want to do it right then. I was thinking I could put her out in the backyard and bur- bury her in the snowbank and uh, finish it up later. But then I decided, I just decided it was better just to do it get it done and figure out some excuse as to what I was doing for three days. So I rolled her off the coffee table and took the table apart, cut up the plywood that it was made out of and burned that and had a big rolling tote. It wasn't very deep, about five or six inches deep. And that's what I cut her up in. So at this point, he actually ended up making a, making 
three trips over three separate days out to a lake. It was called Matanuska Lake. Um, you know, he always removed the battery and SIM card from his own cell phone. He said he chose dick time because it was less suspicious, driving an hour each way. So on day one, he walked out toward the center of the lake about 200 yards. Yards, excuse me. <laughs> he was dragging a chainsaw, lead weights, a snow shovel, a 16 by 30 inch piece of plywood, and some parts of the ice hut, which he pitched the next day on the sled. He said none of this would look unusual on a winter afternoon in Alaska, um, but still he wasn't taking any chances. Mm-hmm. He said that he did have some of his fishing stuff with him, you know, just for appearances, but he thought. Cutting the hole would be easy, but he was definitely wrong. He said it took him forever. The chainsaw just kept dying on him, and the ice was 20 inches thick. And um, he was trying to cut a 13 by 20 inch hole. There was a witness this day. Um, he said that there was another man man out on the lake ice fishing, uh, looking at him quizzically. And when the detectives asked him, why do you think he was looking at you like that? He said, well, he had an ice stroll right there. And he probably thought it was weird that I didn't ask to use it. So (laughs) after cutting the hole, he tied twine through two of the lead weights and dropped them down to check the water's depth. He did ask Kevin, um, who worked for Fish and Game, for the best lakes for ice fishing. And Kevin did actually recommend Matanuska. Because it was 80 feet at its deepest. Mm. Um, but he said when he did check it, he thought that it was only about 40 feet. But he figured that that was deep enough. So after that, he packed everything back up, covered the hole with plywood, covered the plywood with snow, and left. So on day two, he said he packed some of Samantha's remains into tote bags, triple bagging them to contain any blood. He made the drive that morning during the work commute, not concerned at all that he could be pulled over or involved in an accident. Um, At the lake, under the cover of his ice shack, he removed Samantha's remains from his tote and weighted them. Uh, Weighted them. (laughs) Um, Then (laughs) he dropped them down the hole. Um, The first day, um, he said, dumping the body took me about five or ten minutes once the ice shack was set up. Then he left to, to go to a parent-teacher conference for his daughter. Like normal people, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And the detectives were like, how could you even stay calm during a time like this? He's like, I really didn't even think about it. He's like, it was just a quick meeting with me and the teacher talking about enrolling my daughter into the gifted and talented program. Yeah, I also do that immediately after I, like, dispose of people's bodies. Like, exactly. same normal everyday activities, yep. It's fucking insane. So, um, it took two more days. He said, um, he couldn't have moved Samantha's remains all at once, and he didn't want to create suspicion at the lake, so he said he never saw anyone else out there. Just a car parked near his truck on day two or three. He couldn't be sure, um, only that it was a day he was submerging the remains that it caused no, and it caused no alarm. Um, he said that he could tell by the tracks that they'd just gone, like, cross-country skiing and that they never came down by the lake. They probably didn't even see him on the lake. So, after the last of Samantha's remains sank, 
he sat at the edge of the hole and went fishing. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally normal. Fucking hate him. All right. So that is the blow-by-blow count of what he did to Samantha Koenig. Um, so now we are moved, like, the FBI, so the FBI has a dive team, and apparently not a lot of people know that they exist, not even other FBI agents, um, which is really weird to me. I don't know why I assumed that they would have a dive team. <laughs> But yeah, basically I, yeah, I mean, I've heard of that. To, um, what'd you say? Sorry. I said, I've heard of that. Yeah, I thought I did too. I mean, they don't mention it in, like, Criminal Minds. But, yeah. Like, I don't know why I assumed that they did. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, they had called the FBI's dive team, and um, they had told them that, you know, he confessed to dumping her remains in Matanuska Lake and they needed him, needed them to um, come and basically, unfortunately, like, fish them out, for lack of a better term. So, they arrived in Anchorage early Sunday afternoon and it was April 2nd, 2012. Okay. Um, so, oh, actually, that was Monday, the next day, April 2nd. So, um, basically, they had um, set up some um, tents. And later on, when I was reading, basically, they said that they set up the tents to kind of protect James, including her dad. Um, because at, by that point, a lot of reporters had shown up. And they didn't want him to see his daughter in the news, like, whatever they found, however they found her. They didn't want to have to go through that and see her that way. So they were pretty much, they were pretty much certain that it was going to be not good at all. Yeah, exactly. So by that time, also, they had brought in a specialist who worked with victims' families and they had to prepare him for the terrible likelihood that his daughter was gone. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And he actually went on Facebook and he um, wrote, please, everyone, say a quick prayer. Thank you. That's so sad. Okay. It is. So, at um, noon, they began settle- setting up. And um, they actually dropped a sonar head. And um, they got, like, an aural sense. I think that's how you say it. A-U-R-A-L. So, aural, whatever. A-U-R-A-L. Oral? I don't fucking know my accent. I can't. They gave him a sense of the lake's bottom. They said that it took nearly two hours to set up. But once on the lake's floor, sonar pinged five distinct targets, just as Keys described. Oh my god. I know. It's really terrible. So, they ended up dropping a four-propeller ROV, which is actually short for remotely operated vehicle. Um, and what it does is it 
it transmits visual images like a monitor i guess yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah so once it was on the lake floor the rov almost immediately hit something it was a foot a oh human god. foot oh my god okay Yes. So even the FBI agent, he was still taken aback. I mean, he obviously knew what to expect because the other agents told him what he said. But still, he was like, it was there just in the bottom of the lake, naked, swollen and preserved in cold fresh water. So at 4.42 p.m., nearly five hours after the team began setting up, they, um, you know, they kept going around uh, or moving that ROV around and they were actually able to locate the five pieces and they mm. um, confirmed with the people, with the other agents, basically, that they had human remains. Oh, God. Okay. Before they actually dove into the lake, the um i guess like the leader of the dive team he actually gathered the rest of the team and um they observed a moment of silence for samantha oh yeah which i think is really sweet so one agent went in first it was now 7 p.m when they started the actual dive um they said that it took him 15 minutes to make the descent 41 feet from the surface of the lake to the bottom and then he um, had to wait like another 15 minutes for another agent to come down. Um, but when they came down, um, silt rose up and it kind of blacked out their entire field of vision. So they had to stand there for a couple more minutes, perfectly still. That way, all of the tiny dark particles could like lower and that they that way they could see better. Um, when that wherever that first agent landed. He actually landed right near the torso. So he actually had the body bag hooked from his chest or hooked onto his bag. And he unhooked it, spread it over his legs. And um, the other agent actually made his way over. And they um, were trying to secure the torso, but they kept struggling because it kept slipping out of their hands. And um, they decided to roll the torso into the body bag. Um, and they said it, this was really difficult because he had wired the weights to her remains. And, you know, they couldn't remove it because it was evidence. And it was just really hard for them to get it in the bag, unfortunately. After that, you know, one of, the, one of them left because they had seen her arms. And they went and grabbed her arms. And while he was making his way back to put him in the body bag with her torso, he actually snagged one of his gloves on the wire and exposed a part of its hand to the freezing water. Um, and mind you, they still had to find her legs and her head. So like they have these gloves on to protect their hands from freezing water. And now he's exposed. Like I couldn't imagine. Um, so, you know, he gutted it out. A few minutes later, they got all of her remains, and then they were able to get out of there. One of the detectives, actually, or one of the FBI agents, he actually um, knelt down and looked inside of the body bag. And the, he said the first thing that he saw was Samantha's face. Her eyes were wide open. So, um, yeah, 
that is pretty much everything to do with Samantha Conan. And that's enough for now. Uh, part yeah. one. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll do a, um, a part two um, from this point. Sounds pretty. Sounds pretty good. Pretty uh, good idea. Hope y'all had enough for the night. I know that was a little heavy. Yeah, a lot of triggery topics. Um, hopefully the next one won't be that bad. Yeah, mild trigolos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks guys for listening. Bye. Bye.